0: Peanuts! Peanuts!
1: And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment, along with Pressbox, presents Stan, the Fans, Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the batter round, guys. Take it away. And good
2: morning, everyone, and welcome into the batter round for this Saturday, October the 13th. I'm Craig Heist, and there is noticeably someone missing from this panel today, and that's Stan the Fan, who is under the weather today, so we're flying solo. Uh, and uh, we'll see how it goes today and just where this all takes us. But uh, we should have a pretty good show for you lined up today as uh, the ALDS and the NLDS, uh, uh, certainly the the playoffs underway, and, uh, of course, the NLCS, game number one last night, and the ALCS gets going tonight. Uh, But, of course, game one last night, Uh, Going to the Brewers in the National League To hang on for that 6-5 win Uh, Now that said uh, I'm going to rant a little bit In a little while here About Craig Council The manager of the Brewers And how I think he handled his pitching staff Last night Now you can say well he handled it pretty well Because they got a 6-5 win And uh, he used the bullpen Which everybody expects him to use And uh, But how many people he used probably could have been avoided uh, by pitching a couple other guys an extra inning and saving that bullpen because now today in game two with Wade Miley on the bump, uh, you kind of have the feeling like maybe – this could present a problem for the Astros. Uh, I'm sorry for the Brewers going forward uh, today against the Dodgers, but we're going to talk about that. And then coming up uh, later tonight, uh, game number one of the ALCS with the Red Sox and the Astros from Fenway. And if you you want a good pitching matchup, couldn't ask for anything better than Justin Verlander for the defending champs going up against uh, Chris Sale. Uh, Sale, of course, had the good start against the Yankees at Fenway Park and then later in that series in Game 4 came back uh, to give Alex Cora an inning in relief, the eighth inning before he turned it over to Craig Kimbrell who wound up giving up two runs but the Red Sox hung on and got the win and advanced to to the ALCS so uh, again, a lot to talk about in terms of the two playoff series one that's about to start tonight one that played Game 1 last night And uh, we'll talk uh, a little bit about that uh, later on today uh, with Mel Antonin from Masson and Massonsports.com. You see Mel all the time on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report uh, during the week on Masson. And, of course, he also covers the Orioles and the Nationals in the area and does some great writing there. Uh, We'll also get his thoughts on last night's game and what he expects out of Red Sox-Astros later on tonight. Now, also... Uh, coming up, Glenn Clark from Glenn Clark Radio. He'll join us. He's coming into studio. He'll join us right around uh, eleven. I'm sorry, ten forty, and uh, sit, sit in with us probably for about an hour. Uh, but while he's here. Uh, we're also going to talk to Gary Lynette, who is the president of the Sports Boosters of Maryland. And the reason we're having Gary on is the Sports Boosters of Maryland are teaming up with uh, the fine folks at the Babe Ruth Museum for a fundraiser called An Evening with the 83 Orioles. And, of course, everyone knows that that's the last time that the Orioles won a World Series And uh, that uh, will take place on Wednesday, November the 14th, at the Renaissance Harbor Place Hotel in downtown Baltimore. We'll talk about that event with Gary, who will be there, and there's a list. uh, Boy, it's a pretty strong list as well. And we'll also talk to him about uh, why it's been too damn long for this city to see a World Series and, uh, it certainly has been, uh, since 83 with Joe Altobelli managed, uh, the Orioles to that, uh, five game world series win over the Philadelphia Phillies. And, uh, you know, I, I look at this series that's going on right now, uh, with the Brewers and Brewers with the best record in the national league. So they get home field advantage throughout, uh, the playoffs in the national league and, uh, I just think with the way Alex Cora managed his bullpen last night, uh, t- to me it kind of puts him in a little bit, or not Alex Cora, but uh, Craig Council, uh, it puts him in a little bit of a hole today because of the way he used that bullpen last night. So they, they hang on and they win the game 6-5. to five. Now game two is today at 4 o'clock. Uh, the ex oriel Wade Miley getting the start uh, against uh, Onion Rue. And, uh, you know, there's a lot to dissect here because, for me, Craig Council's handling of his bullpen and his pitching staff last night almost came back to haunt him. Manny Machado hits the home run off of Gio Gonzalez in the second inning. He's gone from the game after two innings, uh, and he threw just 32 pitches. He's relieved by Brandon Woodruff, who winds up hitting a home run off Clayton Kershaw. That's the good news. You know, he ties the game up. And they also wind up getting another run in that inning. But in my mind, what kills Kershaw in this game for the Dodgers is in the fourth inning. He doesn't make it out of the fourth inning, but he winds up giving up six runs, five of which were earned uh, because there were two errors in the inning, a couple of pass balls, and Yasmani Grandel, the catcher for the Dodgers, just a horrible night. In fact, it's the only time in in postseason history that the uh, catcher on a team has been charged with two errors and two pass balls. So they wind up, you know, taking advantage, the Brewers do, of that. And then they really kind of had to hang on, you know, after that. And it's because they go through the bullpen. It just got a little crazy because, you know, if Geo goes three and Woodruff goes three, then the pen isn't as taxed as much as it was last night. You know, he uses all these pitchers, and I, and I get it. The game in the playoffs and the postseason has become a game of, you know, short stints by your starters, or you could go the route of the Tampa Bay Rays where you're using a quote-unquote opener, if you will. Well, last night, Gio served as the opener, even though he's a starting pitcher. Uh, but in my mind, as it turned out, They go to Josh Hader after Woodruff leaves the the game, and he was just fabulous. He goes three innings. He strikes out four. But if you use Geo for three and Woodruff for three, then you can back everybody up, and maybe you don't use as many people, you know, getting toward the end of the game because, as it turned out, the Dodgers rally. Manny Machado has a big night. He had the homer off Geo, but then later on has, has a two-run single uh, in the game, uh, which you know was part of that rally by the Dodgers late. And, you know, Knubel winds up closing it out, but Jeremy Jeffers, he was in a bit of a struggle, even though he didn't give up any earned runs. He was in a struggle uh, to get it to that point. Canubal then gives up the sack fly and then – or actually the ball that that hits off of uh, uh, Lorenzo Cain's glove in the the outfield. But to me, it just – it didn't have to get to that point. Now, after Hayter winds up throwing three innings last night, it's also a situation where he's not available today. And Craig Council said after the game, we're not going to pitch him. That way he comes back. you got the off day coming up tomorrow after the game today. And then they travel and then they go to LA to start game three, and he'll be available then uh, for that, with essentially two days off if he doesn't come in the game today, and if you, you have to believe the manager that he's not going to uh you know be a part of that today. So I, I just think from counsel's standpoint, he kind of jumped the shark a little bit by taking uh geo out of that game after two innings now you could say well woodruff went ahead and hit the home run off of kershaw you know and kudos to him i have no problem with that but the other part of that is too to me if you just use both of those guys three innings you're covering six innings of work where you only need your bullpen for the last nine outs of the game and uh, that didn't happen now it'll be interesting to see what effect that those decisions that Council made last night will have on Game 2 today in Milwaukee. You just hope that the offense continues to do, uh, you know, what they've done. That's 12 in a row for the Brewers. They have not lost a game since September 22nd. So what a role they're on. And, you know, you, you ride the momentum, obviously, and you're hoping, again, out of Wade Miley. Now, if you're Wade Miley and you're watching that game last night, you have to be thinking to yourself – well, if Gio only goes two, what's going to be expected out of me? I think today you want to get the same kind of deal out of Wade Miley that he gave you in the divisional series with four and two-thirds and, and you know getting into the fifth inning before he comes out of the game. If that happens, then they can piece it together with their bullpen the rest of the way because nobody's doubting how good this bullpen is. It's just the amount of work that they had to endure to me in game one and whether or not that has an effect on them today in Game 2. We'll just have to wait and see how that uh, turns out. But uh, we're going to get up with Mel Antonin uh, very shortly from Mass and Sports and uh, see what he has to say and and see if he's on the same page with me. Probably not because very few people ever are. But, again, I'm not that much of an analytic guy in terms of, you know, the war and, the, you know, the the way they're using pitchers in the playoffs anymore. Uh, so, so from that standpoint, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But, uh, uh, I, I think Mel, uh, is enough of an old school guy too that he'd probably agree that you maybe wanted to go longer with Geo last night. Now, the, the other part of it is we know from having covered Geo for seven years in Washington that when he runs into difficulty, it's usually, a five-inning stint with a pitch count of about 100. Well, last night he gave up the solo homer to Manny, a, a line drive to left center field. But it wasn't like he was pitching terribly or he wasn't in control of his game. Uh, but Council decided to go the other route and uh, and go with the reliever. And uh, granted, he winds up, Woodruff winds up hitting a home run, but... Uh, it, it To me, it's just one of those things where this could come back to bite them today. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Also, game number one of the ALCS tonight at uh, Fenway Park. And uh, if you want a good matchup, you got one tonight, pitching-wise. Justin Verlander for the Astros uh, against Chris Sale. And uh, Verlander, of course, that trade last year that brought him to the Astros, and for as good as the Astros were last year, you could certainly make the argument that they don't go through the playoffs and win the World Series against the Dodgers in seven games. If it's not for Justin Verlander in that trade that the Astros made with the Tigers right before the end of the uh, waiver deadline, which was at the end of August last year. So Verlander goes over there, he pitches lights out, and – was really the whole key, in in my mind, to them getting to the World Series and winning the World Series, and we'll see whether or not. And a lot of people think this team, with basically the same cast of characters, but their pitching staff a little bit more in tune, and really that happened the last month of the season. Uh, you know, that a lot of people think I – I get the feeling that a lot of people think that this is a better Astros team than the one that won it all last year, and uh, I'm certainly picking the Astros to win it all. I can't see how that, uh, you know, changes anything uh, going forward, you know, all things being equal. Uh, I fully expect the Red Sox uh, to put up a good fight, but, you know, you you got uh, Sale, and unless they've changed something that I don't know about David Price in Game 2, uh, but... You saw what happened to Price again in the postseason uh, in, in game two of that series with the Yankees. It didn't turn out well, and he's got that stigma uh, hanging out over his head. And to me, uh, if you get some good innings out of your starters, uh, that's what you need if you're the Red Sox because turning to that bullpen is really a, a big boo for Alex Cora. Uh, you know, because let's face it, even their closer, Craig Kimbrell, isn't as automatic as he used to be, and that pretty much started uh, for Kimbrell after he left uh, Atlanta. So, uh, again, it'll be interesting to see with what a great matchup it is tonight with Sale uh, against Verlander up at Fenway Park in Boston. And uh, let's go out to the phone lines right now and bring in our first guest, Of the morning here on the Bat Around, and he is Mel Antonin from Masson and Massonsports.com. He's also, obviously, on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report uh, during the course of the week. Mel, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Craig. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. Uh, You always do. (laughs) Always do. That's right. Well, that's because you really don't have any other choice, I think. (laughs) So, let me ask you this. Uh, Last night, and, and I just went through a little bit of a rant here about the way Craig Council handled the the pitching staff last night i wasn't a fan of ditching geo after two innings and granted woodruff come in he hits the home run he goes two innings but then he's using bader or hater rather for three and he's not available today for game 2 i think the way the back end of that was all handled after the first two guys may just come back to haunt them today what do you think
3: i agree 100% i could not believe when he took geo out after, what, 20, two innings? Mm-hmm. Two pretty good innings. Yeah, he gave up the home run. But I was going, what are you doing? I I understand that you want to be progressive. You want to try different things. and You want to work with your strengths. There's bullpen, certainly stronger than the rotation. But, Craig, it's absolutely ridiculous when you take a starter out after two innings when he's pitched well. And not only that, he pitched well all of September. Yeah. So it's not like there's any indication that he was going to fall apart. And I think would rather burn a starter than to burn a reliever. I think the court counsel is more about what, what I can do instead of trying to win the game sometimes. I think it's
4: overthinking it. I don't
3: want to be anti-progressive. I think it's ridiculous.
2: Well, and I kind of felt that way too. And and when I saw it, I, I mean, let's face it. Hayter throws three scoreless. He strikes out four. Now that third inning, you could say he maybe lost a little bit of control, uh, but he did get out of that inning unscathed. But really, without him being available today, I mean, this is a chance for the the Brewers to take a 2-0 lead heading back to L.A. with the day off. And I and I think that maybe they, you know, maybe Council put him, his team in jeopardy of not being able to do that. i 100%. Again, I think he's overthinking it.
3: In fact, they're turning back to the clock in the 1980s when you have late 70s, early 80s, when you had relief pitchers, Craig, going two or three innings. Goose Gossage is a classic example. Right. Dennis Eckersley... In the '80s, with those World Series teams in Oakland, Craig, remember Dennis Eckersley and Dave Duncan went in and told uh, Tony La Russa, or La Russa thought about it as well. But they had a meeting and go, "Why are we using Eckersley for three innings? We can use him one inning a day, and then we can have him for three or four games during the week. There's no need to burn out a reliever." Right, the council does not know his baseball history and seen the reason. They want to set up in the seventh, eighth, and ninth inning. They could use relievers every day. It's absolutely ridiculous.
2: Right, and I think if you, if you go back, you could certainly argue Joe Madden in, in recent years, and also Terry Francona in the world. I, I mean, just kind of overthinking it and overusing pitchers maybe when they don't need to. it's, it's getting to the point now where really
3: managers can't wait, can't wait to uh, get to the bullpen, and I, you know, I understand. Bullpens are now taking over in the postseason. But nothing like Joe Madden in 2016. And to a certain degree, Dave Roberts, when Rich Hill was pitching brilliantly after four innings, he had to come out. It's gotten to an extreme level. And, and one of these days, it's going gonna, it's gonna to burn out. And I think Craig Comple is going to hang himself here a little bit. If he doesn't, I don't know how this trend is going to work. But if he does, I think they will go a little bit more back to the norm.
2: Uh, let's turn our attention real quick to the, uh, ALCS, which begins tonight at Fenway. And, uh, if you want a great (laughs) game one pitching matchup, you can't do much better than Verlander and sale, right?
3: Uh, (laughs) This is what the playoffs are made for. This is absolutely incredible. Chris Chris Sale's got a 98 mile an hour fastball. He's got incredible curve. He's got that funky delivery that makes him look like a condor when his elbows are up over his shoulders. Then you got Justin Verlander, who almost came within an eyelash, just a few seconds, of not even joining the Houston Astros and accepting the trade a year ago. Both these guys are top of the, you know, top line pitchers, two of the best in the American League. And I hope we see two seven inning performances at least. I mean, I understand, you know, I don't want to be a traditionalist, but at the same time, I think there's too much progression. So I think it's going to be refreshing to see Verlander and Sale. And hopefully, it's a lot of strikeouts in a one run game going into the eighth inning with both of them in the game.
2: Well, I, th- I think from the Astros standpoint, if for some reason Verlander, uh, you know, isn't on top of his game tonight, uh, that bullpen is much more equipped to handle the load than is the Red Sox bullpen.
3: Oh, without a doubt. Matt Barnes has been pretty good, but he's basically untested. For the Red. Ryan Gazir is, is untested as well. Brett Kimball can be up and down. Joe Kelly can consistent. But when you look at the Astros bullpen, they picked up uh, Ron Dolan from the Cubs at the beginning of the season, before the start of spring training. Then they added Ryan Presley. They added Osuna uh, from the Blue Jays midseason. Their bullpen is a lot stronger than it was last year. The most improved part of the World Series champion Astros is the fact that their bullpen is now loaded. And they don't have to use starters in the late innings like they did last year. They, they won the division Without using one of their best relievers,
2: Tony Sip. That's how deep the ball is. They got a lot of relievers there, Craig. Yeah. Uh, back to the Dodgers very quickly. Uh, Manny Machado, the home run last night, uh, the two run single uh, as they were trying to make a comeback. Uh, right now, at least in the postseason, he's been exactly why the Dodgers got him. Yep. Uh, I mean, in terms—I I mean, let me—in—in in terms of what he's bringing to the table right now, and with what he's doing going forward, knowing he's in his walk year, how do you think this plays out as far as the Dodgers and maybe Manny staying there? Well, the Dodgers have plenty of infielders.
3: They got Justin Turner signed to a long-term contract. Corey Seager's coming back. He should be back ready to go at the start of spring training. I don't really see where they would move Manny Machado unless they wanted to have a second baseman. But Corey Seager, I have to believe, given what he's done for the Dodgers and how inexpensive he would be, i got to believe that he would be the shortstop for the Dodgers. Justin Turner signed long-term. I don't know how he fits in with the Dodgers. Obviously, you, you want to keep a player like Manny Machado. But how does he fit in It's a great question, because I don't think he's going to play second base.
2: Uh, our colleague Mark Zuckerman uh, wrote a piece yesterday for MadisonSports.com Uh, about Anthony Rendon with the Nationals and with the uncertainty of whether Bryce is coming back, not coming back, if he's going to be somewhere else next year, and and the fact that Rendon is in his walk year coming up. uh, How big is it for the Nationals to try to get something done with him this offseason heading into next year? And What kind of an effect do you think it will have on Rendon as he heads into this season? He's so laid back. He doesn't say anything for the most part. (laughs) I mean, how do you think it affects him?
3: I don't think it affects him at all. I think if anybody can handle the prospect or the expectation of free agency and winning a big contract, it's Anthony Rendon. He's Mr. Cool. He doesn't care about all that other stuff. He just likes to play baseball. Uh, So I don't think it'll affect him at all. But it's going to be an interesting predicament for the Nationals. Do they sign Bryce Harper and lose Anthony Rendon? Do well, they keep Rendon? Do they, do they let Harper go with the idea that maybe they can keep Rendon long-term? I don't know. I mean, it's Phil Wood was suggesting the other day that the Nats have the money to handle both of them. I don't know what's going to happen. But I don't think it's going to face Anthony Rendon. If it does, that's a big story.
2: Yeah, that really is a big story. and I, And I kind of agree with Phil on that in that they probably – you know they probably can handle both of them, but the the other part of that is is if Bryce moves on, the outfield depth on that ball club. I mean, especially now since Victor Robles is back and and played the last month or so uh, for the Nationals. But without his injury at the minor league level earlier in the year, we never find out about Juan Soto. Yeah. Oh
3: yeah. Exactly. I mean, Juan Soto has played a handful of games in the minor leagues, it's an absolute surprise that he had to come up and get thirteen hits in his first twelve games. Yeah. I mean from a baseball public relations standpoint it would be a disaster for the Nationals to lose Bryce Harper. But if you look at just a baseball from a baseball standpoint, letting Harper go and going with the young outfielders the depth they have in the outfield, it makes perfect sense financially and from a baseball standpoint as well. So I don't know which way they're gonna go, but if they sign both Rendon and Harper, how are they going to have any pitching
2: depth? Well, that, that's, you know, the, that's the other point I was going to bring up to you is the fact that, you know, if Harper's there, how do you fix this pitching staff? And, I mean, I, yeah, I know you have Scherzer and then, and then uh, obviously Strasburg, and you're hoping that Tanner Roar kind of reverts back to the way Tanner Roar can pitch. Uh, but after that you know, Joe Ross is going to be there, Eric Fetty, what do you, I mean, uh, to me, they've got to get an- another, you know, one or at least two starters before they start thinking about next year.
3: Yeah, exactly. Both, uh, both Fetty, and and Ross, even if they're all healthy, they can only pitch 120 to 130 innings. I right. I don't know that Ross can't pitch 130 innings next year, giving each coming back Tommy John. So they need pitching depth, so. I think the Nats are asking the question, do we sign Bryce Harper and make a big splash there? Or do we go out and spend the money on the money that we'd normally give to Harper and give it to some pitching? Patrick Corbin of Arizona, Dallas Keuchel of, of Houston, a yeah. potential free agent. So they will be free agents. So they've got to put their pitching depth somehow. But even if the back three guys, the top three prospects, including Ross, are healthy, they still have pitching issues.
2: They don't have any depth. Mel, as far as the Orioles are concerned, uh, obviously no Dan, no Buck coming back. Uh, what they do in the meantime between now and, say, the end of the World Series or a few days after the World Series, the, the, is is the structure of this going to be they hire a president of baseball operations and he will hire a GM, and then the GM hires the manager. Do you you see that happening kind of like that?
3: Yeah, I think so. And I think people have been overly critical of the Orioles saying, um, well, they're not doing anything. I think they've been thinking about it for a long time, and I think they'll get it done. And it'd probably be the traditional president, GM, manager type thing. You know, I would assume we got to hear it pretty soon because there's a lot of decisions to be made. And if they go outside the organization like they said they were, I mean, there's not a lot of time, but I think the Orioles ownership has been thinking about this. I think they've been very tight-lipped, but I don't think because there's been a lack of information or a lack of speculation about who's getting those jobs, that doesn't mean that the Orioles are behind on this. I think they're I think they're fine,
2: but they got to get rolling. Yeah, they they do have to get rolling because you know before you know it the winter meetings are here, and then. Uh... You, you know, everything kind of happens at the winter meetings, but then that sets the stage a lot of times for for the off season and what's going to happen between then and spring training. So, uh, again, you look at this roster, and I, I think that, number one, you'd like to see Chris Davis, you know, there's a ton of money obviously wrapped up in him, but you'd like to see him get back to – maybe 60% of what he was before he signed that big contract. And and I'm not so sure that's going to happen.
3: Yeah, there's no way to know. Is it his swing? Is it his head? Is it his pitch recognition? Most people think it's pitch recognition. The swing doesn't need to change much, but the pitch recognition does. The fact that he takes so many good-looking strikes that he could just hammer out of the ballpark is an is indication of Maybe he needs to work on pitch recognition. I don't know. Those are all the theories. I'm not a batting coach. If right. anybody knew the answer, they'd fix him. But those are some of the theories out there. You know, he could come back next year and be fine. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen.
2: Uh. And, and, you know, when you look around the infield, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that Tim Beckham... Isn't the shortstop that they need, but I, uh, you, you and I both saw enough of Jonathan VR in the National League when he come play the Nationals. Uh, I, I love the kid. I think he can play.
3: Oh yeah, and I think he should be their shortstop next year. And I would let that be the Valera kid play second base, and then I would go with Nunez at third. Nunez is Villar has played more shortstop than second base. If he gets a re-emergence in Baltimore, he's the type of guy that can steal. Bases at the top of the lineup. So uh, that's good news. But yeah, I think BR should be the shortstop. I go with Bolera at second base, and I go with Newton as a third base in the infield. That's a bunch of good hitters, and uh, I think you have to see what you got. But as long as whoever they put out there is strong defensively, that's the most important aspect for a rebuilding team. You can have a bad offense, but you cannot constantly give teams four or five outs with a weak defense. That's what frustrates young teams. Look at Tampa Bay. They barely had any pitching at all. They were right. relievers three days in the week, but their defense was so good, they won 90 games. Defense is critical, Craig.
2: Yeah, you know, and and you go back to Tampa's situation and, and what Kevin Cash did with that team winning 91 games, uh, obviously he gets, I think he should get a whole bunch of votes for manager of the year, and everybody talks about Bob Melvin. But to do what he did with that pitching staff and 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 the way they decided to go with it, uh, with with you know with the analytics and things of that nature, and starting a reliever for an inning or two, and then turning it over the rest of the way, uh, it, it really paid dividends. I'm not so sure that's the formula I want to use, but at least in Tampa's case, it certainly worked.
3: Yeah, another reason to hire, make Kevin Castle the League Manager of the Year. Ownership bonehead ideas or these progressive ideas and he's the one that had to sell it uh-huh. to the team not only the bullpen issues but the trades of the big name players archer longoria uh jaco rizzi and you know they traded all those guys kevin cash was the guy that told the clubhouse we can make this work and that's probably his most valuable most valuable um Contribution to the team, keeping them together after a lot of chaos created by the front office.
2: We're talking with Mel Antonin from uh, Masson and Massonsports.com. Uh, before we let you go, anything in the offseason coming up that you're particularly looking at as a big storyline, and what do you expect uh, out of the offseason?
3: Well, I think there's going to be a lot of talk about Harper and Matto. That's obvious. I'm breaking. Yeah. They're correct. But I tell you, I think the most interesting story in the off season will be whether the Angels trade Mike Trout or not. They have a lot of issues, youth in their system. They got a new manager coming in. I think Mike Trout's possible trade is going to be a big off season story. Mm-hmm. And obviously, Machado and Harper are going to be big news, but. Watch out for Mike Trout. That, to me, is a big-time story.
2: Well, I'd like to really see the commissioner leave Mike Trout alone and let him make his own decisions <laughs> <laughs> yeah, about his career.
3: <laughs> yeah, well, I think the agency could do well to do that, uh, given the market. I mean, I don't know. It's, I think the market's going to be slower than what everybody
2: I think we just lost Mel
3: and 20-year-olds pitch playing and playing well, uh-huh. I think that I think that says ownership, you don't need to spend money on big-time contracts.
2: All right, one last thing, and that's D.D. Gregorius up in New York uh, has to have Tommy John on the elbow, uh, and that really started to fuel the Manny Machado rumors to, uh, to to New York. Do you see that as a possibility? I, I see it as a for Machado,
3: but D.D. Gregorius is going to be back sometime. And so I don't know if they're going to spend lavishly on Manny Machado. When that's the team too that needs pitching beyond uh, Masahiro Tanaka and Luis Severino. So mm-hmm. I think the Yankees are going to be cautious. If they had a full pitching staff, that'd be one thing. Otherwise, uh, I'm not sure.
2: Here is Mel Antonin from Mass and Sports and MassandSports.com. Mel, thanks a lot for being with us on this Saturday morning. Thanks, Craig. All right. There you have it, bat around with Mel Antonin, and uh, we are gonna take a break, uh, but first, before we do that, Going to tell you about Join Up uh, for Join Team Up For One and help children with challenges by attending the third annual Sports Leadership Awards Bull Roast Bull and Oyster Roast. That comes up on October the 30th. The night will honor UMBC men's basketball coach Ryan Odom and raise money to help children with disabilities. For more information and tickets uh, to the Team Up For One Sports Leadership Awards at Valley uh, Mansion. You can go to TeamUpfor One org. That's team Team
1: up for so I'm what you'd call a regular at Chick-fil-A. I go a lot. And if you are too, then join the club. The Chick-fil-A One Club. When you get food, you get points. And when you get points, you earn free stuff. Like more food. Breakfast, for example. Yep, breakfast. There's an egg white grill on a multi-grain muffin with cheese It's not only delicious and healthy, but it now earns you points. Buy anything, get points. Order through your Chick-fil-A app, get points. You're going to Chick-fil-A anyway. Why not get free stuff for your efforts? Join Chick-fil-A One online or through your app and while I've got your attention please remember Chick-fil-A catering it's a real live crowd pleaser in fact order twice as much as you think you'll need trust me go see Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard tell him I sent you if you need help downloading your app don't ask Steve but he'll know
0: someone who can help Chick-fil-A 1 get food earn more free food Join Team Up for One and help children with challenges by attending the third annual Sports Leadership Awards Bowl and Oyster Roast on October 30th. The night will honor UMBC men's basketball coach Ryan Odom and raise money to help children with disabilities. For information and tickets to the Team Up for One Sports Leadership Awards at Valley Mansion, go to teamupforone.org. That's Team Up for the number one.org.
5: Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard, postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food, good sports. Pressbox's Project Game Day. Facebook.com
1: slash Pressbox Sports. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local Turtle.
5: The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Kevin Eck looks at Ravens superstar Terrell Suggs and how he still sizzles now in his 16th season in Baltimore. Plus, Simon Hathamarium introduces you to the newest Flacco on the Baltimore sports scene. That's Towson Tigers quarterback Tom Flacco. And Bo Smolka profiles new Ravens receiver John Brown. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition and the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at pressboxonline.com.
3: This is former Terp AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from The Baltimore
1: Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo, Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG.
2: Never wrestled Uh... in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet, me bro. I hate both of you. And
3: this is why I keep stupid idiots like you... On my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save
1: you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com, on SoundCloud, or iTunes. And welcome
2: back to the bat Around. I'm Craig Heist, and for Stan the Fan, who's a little under the weather today, and uh, we're taking you up until noon, and uh, coming up uh, in a little while, we're going to be talking about the 1983 Orioles Uh and uh, it's hard to believe, Glenn Clark. Hi, it? as we welcome in Glenn Hi, Clark Heist. from hey Glenn Clark Radio, uh, and you can hear that every day, uh, Monday through Friday, from ten to noon here on Pressbox and PressboxOnline.com.
1: Yes, sir. Um, I, you know, it's funny because I was <clears throat> I was born one month before the 1983 World Series. I was. Um <clears throat> Like all thirty days old when the Orioles <laughs> won the World Series in '83, <laughs> so so you um, can't tell me. have a lot of. You
2: can't tell me play by play what happened Lord in '83 no. in Game One. <laughs> so
1: it's it's really funny. So we got a new uh, print edition of Press Box. It's coming out on Monday. Yeah. It'll be available on uh, newsstands. And one of the things we did, we always do the 15, right on the 15th page of Press Box, we do uh, the 15. It's some silly list that we put together. And we were trying to do something related to the 1983 World Series. And so this month, we decided to do the 15 uh, Baltimore Sports Unlikely Heroes uh-huh. was the topic that we did for this month, this issue that's coming out on Monday. And we did it because when you look back on the 83 World Series, the story of actually winning the World Series had a little bit to do with Cal Ripken and Eddie Murray. It had way more to do with a lot of other dudes yeah. that, you, that you don't think of and remember the same way. But I am lying when I pretend like I remember any of this so that I can speak on it with any authority like i c- i'll I'll pretend like I know all about John Stafaro and you know what a what a massive hit he had i, I, I don't
2: i don't the only thing know. I know about John Stafaro, i mean other than he was a catcher for the Orioles
1: right, and apparently in september of eighty three he had a he had a, a huge was it a home run a or home run right it, yeah. yeah it
2: was a big big home run
1: yeah uh, is that and I get this
2: by listening to the post game
1: oh, right because he does the because he sells cars. Right, exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. at Brown's, I guess it right. is in Ellicott City. So yeah, there's that obviously, there's Tito Landrum's home run to win the uh, the ALCS and Dan Ford and and Renicky and Lo- Like it's, it's a team that was sort of built out of guys that came up huge in big spots that their careers don't maybe back up how big they came up for that baseball team in 1983. So we decided to have some fun with that and recognize other unlikely heroes in Baltimore sports history um, as well as the 1983 Orioles. But that's what I've got for you because otherwise I was a month old. Well, I don't remember it. So you can stick around for what, about an hour or so? Yeah, I'll be here for a bit. Okay,
2: because uh, at 11 o'clock we're scheduled to have on uh, Gary Lynette, right. who's the president of the Sports Boosters of Maryland, and he's going to talk about... Uh, their fundraiser coming up Wednesday, November the 14th at the Renaissance Harbor Place Hotel in downtown Baltimore.
1: uh, And they got a lot of the the guys coming They've
2: got a lot of the guys coming. It's still being put together, but a lot of the guys, and they're teaming up with the Babe Ruth Museum uh, for this fundraiser, and I want to find out what the connection is between the two of them. And uh, just the fact that it's been so long since we have had World Series baseball in
1: Baltimore. <sighs> it's really sad. Yeah. It's really sad to think about it that way, Heisty, but uh, that's the reality. Well, and the,
2: but, but the bottom line for me is, I remember being at the last game of the 82 season. Okay. Where they lose to the Brewers, I think it was 8-2. to two. Right. Robin Yount, a pair of home runs, Sutton... Out pitches Palmer. Of course, the Brewers went on to the World Series. They went on to the World Series. Yep, and uh, lost to the Cardinals that year. Uh, But you know, so many things that happened in Earl's last game at that time as the manager. You know, was was so great, and you, you remember the throw from Shelby to Dempsey in Milwaukee. Uh, to kind of keep that whole thing alive. And then Joe Aldebelli comes in, and he gets credit, obviously, for for running the ship, but he did that with Earl's team. Sure, yeah. And then you talk to anybody, whether it's Kenny Singleton or Cal or any of them, they'll tell you that they knew that they had a team, and they knew after that failure against Milwaukee— that the following year nothing was
1: going to stop them. But did they know that Storm Davis was going to be that good that season? Did they know, again, like this is not – I think that to me is the the story of the 83 World Series mm-hmm. is that, like, did you know how good Scotty McGregor was going to be in 1983? Did you know how good Mike Boddicker was going to be in 1983, right? Like yeah. this is – this wasn't Jim Palmer. I mean, Jim Palmer was part of that team, but he was you know coming out of the bullpen, right? Like, right, and Boddicker is, goes on next year. He's the last one to win 20 games for right, the Orioles. Right, right, you know? correct. So, I, I don't know, that to me is the fascinating part about the 83 World Series team. As somebody who wasn't able to live it, mm-hmm. like, what I know of it now is, wow, these really weren't guys that were supposed <laughs> to be that good at that point. But as somebody who lived it,
2: and they win it after dropping Game 1 here, right, and then and then they go, win Game win 2, course, great, yeah. and then go up to Philadelphia and sweep them up there, uh, and then the next year... You're expecting sure. with a lot of those same guys, granted a little bit older, but a lot of those same guys, you know, we can make a run at this thing again. And then the Tigers go 35 and 5 to start right. the season. It was basically over with.
1: Never look back. But I think that speaks to what I was talking about, Craig, which is like, I don't know. It's easy for you to say, like, you know, you had a feeling of that team winning something. Like, looking at the roster, mm-hmm. I still don't really understand that. And again, I, wa- I wasn't able to live it, so I right. can't speak to it, right? But you look at the roster and you say, I can understand why that team ended up sort of tailing off into obscurity and ultimately becoming the 1987 War- Orioles, right. which were the, you know, the worst team. Well, they were the worst team in the history of the Orioles until this one came along. Um, but, you know, I could sort of get it because it was, not, it was not as if there were six Hall of Famers in the prime of their career. They had Cal Ripken and Eddie Murray. That's right. sort of what they had for the years that came. And then that was all they had, obviously, as you got to the late... <laughs> you know the the mid to late portion of that decade right um i i'm uh, I'm fascinated by a couple things I want to talk about with you yeah so one, I heard you and Mel Ant- You know Mel Ant is my pizza delivery guy. You know that. No, I did yeah, not. Yeah, he's my that. pizza. He works so many jobs that he also delivers me pizzas. It's a it's a known thing. You can ask him about it. He's, he's a thing that Think happens.
2: he'd make the trip to law? Uh, yeah, I think <laughs> he would. Or, or pe- is it one of those I things where I'd have I'd, to come up here no, 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 no. and be on your show <laughs> right. since I promised to do that and have hey, never right. been able to That's get right. my I'd dead I'd, ass out of bed? Like,
1: <laughs> just tell me when you're coming, and I'm always <laughs> happy to have you, Heist. You know that. Yeah. Um, that's a It's a, a bit that we do with uh, Mel, because yeah. he has so many jobs, right? right. Like it right. works for everybody. Um, but I, you guys were talking about the bullpenning thing, right? And I watched the game last night, mm-hmm. and I was fascinated by the strategy from Craig Council of sort of saying, the hell with everything, we're winning this game, no matter what. And damn near wrecking that in the process, right? Well, and that's like, my
2: point to it all. You have Gio. Now, the one thing we learned about Gio Gonzalez with his time with the Nationals is that He can be a very consistent guy if he's got fastball command, which sets up everything else, uh, which is a devastating curveball most of the time. But when he starts nibbling and things of that nature, and he gets in trouble, he's got a pitch count, as Brittany is ruining the studio right now.
1: Everything all right? Everything all right right, over there? All
2: right. (laughs) All right. Uh, but, But he can be at 100 pitches by the end of the fifth inning, and... Then he's lost, you know. After right, that, sure. and you're turning it over to the bullpen for your last twelve outs. Last night, thirty two pitches after two, and yeah, he gave up the Machado right, home, the home run. run but yeah. it's a it's a one nothing game at that point. And to me, what Council did last night was just, especially with using Hayter for three innings. That to me now that makes him unavailable today, or right, so correct. counsel says.
1: Correct. Okay. Now you may I, see him. I, a lot of people have, have said that maybe he could go for a batter, right? Like if, yeah. if you had the right matchup, maybe the, he right. could get one exactly. guy out today. But
2: to me, you, so so you give him today off, the travel day off, and then right. he's ready to go in game three. But to me, having almost had the rest of that bullpen blow that lead last night, right? I, I think that, that may be just the fly in the ointment, and maybe Mel is right. And I think he is right by saying that he just overthinks it a
1: little bit too much. I think this is a difficult. So, this is where we're meeting like the the rule, the bullpenning concept, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I think we're trying to come to a head with this. I I think there's very much a feeling of we're dancing with the girl that got us here, right? This is what's worked for us. And whether or not it seems to make sense in the moment, this is just what's worked for us. So, we're going to do it um i thought particularly woodruff looked like a guy that could add another inning in him last night like i thought that was a case where they maybe went and got him one inning too early i think the council maybe overthinks what you're doing with the pitcher spot coming up in the lineup now as it turns out obviously woodruff had no problem uh, handling the bat last night and delivered what i think will go down if the brewers win this series one of the great you know, postseason home run moments in mm-hmm. baseball history when he, I mean, he had a home run off of Clayton Kershaw. Holy hell, how did that time happen? That's
2: the first time in postseason history that a left handed pitcher, right, as a batter, right. hits a home run off a left handed pitcher. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it's one of the
1: craziest things I've yeah. ever seen. Mm-hmm. And because there was so much else that was crazy in the game, you might forget about uh, how insane that moment was, but it was one of the coolest things ever that mm-hmm. Woodruff hit that home run off of Clayton Kershaw. Um, I get it, and I think that there's a lot you can be second-guessing on Craig Council. I think the argument from Craig Council is just like, look, and we're going to sell out to win every game. We're going to sell out to win every game, and if we use every pitcher in the process, we use every pitcher in the process. But
2: does he have to do that? And my point is, his offense has been so damn good all year That's true, long, too. You know, and, and my, you know. But it unless, turns out unless, unless an, something changes, right. they've got the NL MVP right. on their, on right, their Yelich, team yeah. and Yelich. So, I I mean, there's a lot of thump in that lineup, and I just think if you use Geo
1: for three and Woodward for three, for example... Now you're six innings in. Then you're six innings. You
2: only need the rest of your pen to cover the last 12 outs.
1: I I see. I understand everything. Or the last nine. I understand everything you're saying, um, and I think that they will be more willing to, depending on what Wade Miley does this afternoon... Mm I think he's more inclined to let Wade Miley have an extra couple of innings. Mm-hmm. I don't think that he is, and I don't think today the plan is two innings of Wade Miley, then we get seven no, innings. No, but that was the plan here. It can't <laughs> be, obviously. Yeah, it certainly was. Well, I don't know. Sometimes I couldn't even get two innings out of Wade Miley in Baltimore. Um <laughs> But I do think that they'd be more inclined to give Wade Miley four or five innings mm-hmm. and sort of going. Well, from there. he went four
2: and two thirds in the right. in the divisional series, and 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 of course shutout baseball. It's very well. And then he they turned it
1: over to the bullpen and lights out. The question is, do you do you trust the guys that you're putting in there in the late stages of the game last night? Because those are the guys that are fresh. Well, yeah, you but can't Hader and Woodruff aren't fresh. You got to right. go to the guys you put in at the end of the game that couldn't get the job done. Right. And, uh Knabel didn't look right uh jeffers certainly didn't look right no i, I don't soria didn't look right. I no, don't. right now
2: joaquin soria
1: yeah uh do you remember the executioner do
2: you remember what else he's famous for
1: uh kansas city no uh while he,
2: while he was pitching in detroit
1: Oh, he was a part of the two thousand fourteen bullpen. Right. Wasn't he? Yeah, and he, was part of he the, gave up the dumb and and dumb Young, and young yeah. three run and double. Young. Yep. I remember th- everything about that day was the moment who started that game? Was it Sanchez? Mm. Who started that game? Whoever it was the moment they went and got him, I turned to my father. We were sitting in the stands for that mm-hmm. game. I turned to my father, I said, Dude, they're gonna blow this. Their bullpen's terrible. Right. I remember the moment they put in Jabba Chamberlain, I'm like, pfft Okay. Yeah. Okay, guys. Well, they appreciate beat, it. They beat three
2: different Cy Young Award winners in that in that series. Verlander, Verlander. I
1: think Price was with them at that time. Oh my God, really? Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Jesus. David Price pitched everywhere. I totally yeah. forgot about that. Yeah. Um, their bullpen was god awful, though. Their bullpen was horrible in yeah. 2014. Yes,
2: they were. Thank you for that.
1: Thank you for that. Yes. Um, so that was one of the things I want to deal with with you. The other thing is like I have no idea what to make of the. Um, the uh, you know the other thing too I don't know who uh, so this is a weird thing I don't know who I'm rooting for in the NLCS either. Oh, I'm for <laughs> that question. It's Milwaukee. It's Milwaukee. Manny. Okay. Yeah. So this I love uh, Manny, but uh, but this is the problem, right? Yeah. As far as the two franchises go, Milwaukee's mm-hmm. the more embraceable one. Mm-hmm. It's the more embraceable story of a smaller market that you know has had to push the right buttons and take some chances because they and, know and,
2: uh, not not um, I mean this team's got more power and is built differently right. than the Kansas City team to beat the Orioles in in 14. But small market, right, Lowest well, payroll. Pushing. And of by thing. the way, they've yeah.
1: got some of the same players too, right? Yeah. Like it's Lorenzo Cain and Mike Moustakis. Yeah. Um, but no, it's they're a more embraceable story. It's just that my my enjoyment of watching Manny Machado play baseball for the last you know six years leaves me in where it's a difficult thing to root against Manny Machado when he came up with the bases loaded last night in a six one game. I couldn't help but think to myself, I would really like to see this dude park one and and make it and a one-run one game. Yeah, exactly. So it turns out he had a great at bat. Yeah. And ended up getting a you know that that sort of dinker in the left Two-run field that, single, yeah. that ended up uh, starting that rally for the Dodgers. And it was a, it was uh, you know the good all the same. But I can't I can't root against Manny Machado. So I'm struggling with that because I'm with you in that the Brewers are the more embraceable team of the two. Mm-hmm. But as the presence of Manny Machado makes it very difficult to root against. Yeah. Uh, obviously, on the other side, it's easy to root for Houston because Lord knows I'm not going to root for the Red Sox. <laughs> um, the other issue that I have is, I, like, the, I've been dealing with this all week. I've almost not been able to talk about the Orioles situation all week mm-hmm. um, because it's so clear that you have to wait for the, the executive position to be filled before you can talk about who A we, GM
2: or a manager or anything right. like that. Yeah, right.
1: And I have no idea— no clue what they're doing as far as the executives is concerned. We we talked earlier this week. Like, I don't think there's any chance that it's Ben Charrington. I don't think that I think this is someone that, that we're not like everybody keeps talking about Tyrone Brooks, right? Mm-hmm. The um the North County alum who's been working in Major League Baseball's diversity program. He used to be a scout and the the front office guy, and I'm like, I don't know a thing about Tyrone Brooks. I couldn't Nor do have, I. And that's the problem. I couldn't yeah. have a conversation with you about you know, if he's the guy, then who would – the ma- like, I have no clue because – I mean, if that's the case, we might as well talk to Britt about it. Right, right, <laughs> correct. She knows about it as much as we do. Exactly. That's exactly where we are. And so it's very difficult, but I go back to I- I accepting I- – I have no idea if he's actually going to be a candidate. Right? right. I have no clue if he's going to be a candidate or not. But we let Bordick come on last Thursday, mm-hmm. and there's been rumblings about Bordick for the last four months at this point, right? Is that about when it started, when Heyman first started thinking right, yeah. Bordick to being the next manager of the team? And they haven't gone away. Bob Nightingale, still even two weeks ago, was, was discussing the idea that Bordick was going to be somebody that was going to be looked at for the job. So I, I bring this concept up understanding they've got to fill the GM job before we can even talk about that. Right. But I let Borde come on, and Pressbox wrote about. it, and he said, "Look, yeah, of course I want to be the you know the manager of the Orioles. Of course I want. The, why wouldn't I want the job? Of course right. I want the job. Why wouldn't he? I I agree with him in that. But I the immediate feedback that I get from the Orioles fan base is no mm-hmm. is is vitriolic." Towards it's the vitriolic idea
2: because I think they want Girardi in here. But that's not happening. And that's not happening. And that's what they have to realize. The,
1: and this is the part and, and
2: my guess is, but when it's all said and done, it's going to be somebody who's going to be an analytics guy, right. who's going to maybe be a first-year guy, right. and
1: also not cost that much money. Well, right. Because you're not trying to win right now. Right. That's the reality of... And this is the part that I... I keep struggling with I don't know that Orioles fans fool. I think there are a lot of Orioles fans who are like, yeah, they need to rebuild, right? Without really fully understanding exactly how gross a rebuild is, exactly how difficult. And I'm not saying it's not necessary and not what they should do, because I definitely think it was what they needed to do at this point. I think they needed to rip this thing down and sort of start start all over. But it is painfully unfun. You think this season was not fun? How about three more of them? This is not... This is not getting fun anytime soon. Now, Mm -hmm. you're hoping that long term it ends up panning out, and five years down the road this could be something, but this is not going to be fun for at least three years, more likely a little bit more than that. Yeah. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad, but
2: then again, the nature of the game sometimes tells you that it may not take all that long.
1: I hope that that's true. I hope that you're right about that, Heisty. I do. Um... You know, I think it's been different every city. Do you look at the Houston, it was probably closer to five years. Houston also started with Jose Altuve. The Orioles are starting with what? What do they have right now? In well, I mean, to me,
2: the best player on the team right now, other than Adam Jones, who's the who free agent probably right? not yeah. going to be back, is Jonathan
1: VR. Okay, and I don't think he's part of the long-term plan. I, I, I think, don't think
2: so, but I mean, I like I said to Mel, I saw, I saw enough of him in the National League to know the guy I can play.
1: Well, yeah, sure. I, and, like, I think you liked what you saw from him here, but I think, that, I think that he's a guy that they're hoping to spin. I mean, I think that he's a guy that they brought in to, to say, get healthy, look like yourself again, and that can be another guy that we spend for three more prospects next season at the trade deadline, Could right? Be, yeah. Like that's yeah. That, to me, was the concept of why they went out and got Jonathan VR as part of that trade. Because right. they said, if you're not going to give us your top prospects, give us a piece how would might- you?
2: How would you feel about VR moving over to shortstop and bringing Jonathan Scope back? Uh, and, that, and that's been floated out there.
1: I mean, I... Okay, but Scope's still a year... So you're trading for Jonathan Scope then? Because he's still a year away from free agency. So are you waiting a year to bring? Are you like, letting yeah. Okay. It's an interesting. I, I, I don't know. Look, they don't have anything in the middle infield. So, you know, there's no other. They've got nothing, nothing in their system as far as middle infielders are concerned. Although we're assuming they're about to spend the number one pick on the draft on a shortstop in Bobby Witt. But that's five years down the road that Bobby Witt we're looking at to be a Major League Baseball player. Um, I I, I hear it. I see. Mm -hmm. I just don't – my gut is they're not spending money. I mean, my gut is there are three years of, guys, we're not not doing it. You're right. We're going with young baseball players, and we are sucking up losses, and we are getting high draft picks, and we are trying to load up the system that way, that we are going to get can't-miss players in the draft we're not going to go through the thing where we spend a little bit of money and we're just good enough. I just don't see them doing that.
2: Well, the other while. thing now they've got this international slot money, right? Okay, but now
1: it doesn't look good now yeah. for Victor, Victor Mesa, right.
2: and his brother, I guess. Yes. But and that's a lot of it had to do with you know the the Marlins getting that uh, yep. s- slot money, and uh, all of a sudden there's a big push to have both of them just stay there in yep, Miami. Correct.
1: Well, you hope that the, what's the pitcher is Gaston, right. right, is the one that's the third in that group. You hope that maybe the Marlins have to spend all of that money on the two Mesas, and the Orioles could sit there and at least pluck away the, the pitcher, who is also thought of highly, Sandy mm-hmm. Gaston. Um, not not as sexy a name for Orioles fans as Victor Victor Mesa is, but could be a significant—and Victor Victor Mesa also is 21. And again, as I keep coming back to I think this is a five-year process— I don't know that Victor Victor Mesa is actually the perfect fit for the Orioles. I think they need to be trying to go get spending international money on 16-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Spending international money to load up their their system with players that are much younger that could be factors five years from now and then still have six or seven years ahead of them at that point. They could be under Oriole control into the prime of their career. Not saying that I think it would be a terror If they can sign Victor Victor Mesa tomorrow, by all means, I'm all by for it. By all means, too. I'm all for right. it, yeah. But ultimately... If they can get a younger pitcher who's also thought of highly as a Cuban player that could go on to perform, I think that would be a good thing for the Orioles and for their system. I would be in favor of that.
2: All right. Uh, real quick, as far as uh, Manny Machado is concerned. Yes. And and Bryce Harper. Yeah. Uh, interesting to see. Right, and, and, and you heard Mel say yeah. that you don't know what the market's going to bring, and it could be another down year in the market. But with those two guys... Uh, John Heyman had man, had uh, Bryce's salary and projected salary of $31 million.
1: I don't know what it is that you look at in either one of those guys mm-hmm. and say you're afraid of spending that type of money. If, if like, Outside of just saying we're never going to spend that money again. Mm-hmm. Outside of everyone in baseball sort of colluding and saying, we will never spend $300 million on a baseball player ever again. Well, right? and, we're and not you know, over
2: that. the last two years, the way the market's played out, a there's, lot of
1: people were yelling about Correct. It. Collusion. Correct. And I and look, you think <clears throat> it's impossible? Of course. I don't think it's impossible, right? No. I think it's totally pl- plausible that there's been a level of con- collusion. That being said, if anyone is ever going to spend $300 million on a baseball player again, tell me why you wouldn't spend it on one of those two tubes. Mm-hmm. You could bring up Manny having a couple of knee injuries in the past, but, They were two different – like, it's not as if there's a chronic knee problem with Manny Machado that would say to you, you think that he's not going to be able to play this thing out. You can bring up the fact that, yes, he was not – he's not been the best base runner in his career. He's been a terrible base runner, frankly, in his career. Right. But he has looked more focused and, like, a better all-around baseball player since he arrived in L.A. And a lot of people brought up that Dave Roberts, for whatever reason, has sort of gotten to him a little bit. Um preached a bit more patience at the plate. He definitely appears to be more willing to work counts than we had seen him in the the last couple years. He had taken on a little bit of that Adam Jones mentality in the last couple of years in Baltimore where he was up there to swing. It worked out very well a lot of the time in Mm -hmm. Baltimore, but he appears to be more patient since he arrived in L.A. I still think that he's a moldable baseball player. I I would – look, if you're telling me that I'm ever going to spend $300 million on a baseball player, spend it on Manny Machado. Yeah. Spend it on that. Look at what you're getting. Yeah. Spend it on that. and by the way, how's he handling – you know, it had been since 2012, right, because he was hurt in 2014. So it had been since 2012 that he had been in a playoff series – because obviously they only played one game in 2016. How did he handle this? He's handling it just fine. Just fine, thank you. He's handling. He's got nine and, RBI and three home runs. Yeah, he's and. handling it just fine. This is a guy we're spending an insane amount of money on. I wish that my team was willing to spend insane amounts amounts of money on baseball players. Unfortunately, not the case right now. Not the case. But it's worth it. It's worth spending that amount of that amount of money. The Yankees thing is interesting because of the Gregorius. Well, thing.
2: you know, it's funny. Phil Wood brought up an interesting point about you know the fact that he thinks the Nationals can uh, aff- afford both. Bryce Harper and I mean, and Anthony Rendon,
1: uh, but I don't see that happening. I, I and and if well, and the Masson thing is still such a huge part of that, right? Still, like, a, yeah. How, how do you go back and and plead that you need that money if you're spending? And that's been part of the problem with the Nationals, right? Is that mm-hmm. they've they've had to try to make it seem like they need more money out of the deal um, because you know they they can't afford to do the things they want to do operationally, and they just. I just don't know that you can continue to make that case if you're spending historic amounts of money on Bryce Harper and signing Anthony Rendon. I think it's a difficult sell to then say at that point that um, you you still that you're you're desperate as far as the Masson situation is mm-hmm. concerned.
2: Well, that that's, that's got to be
1: resolved before anything else happens. So, yeah, I I don't know. I got other like this the, the stuff that has been written. Did you read the Rosenthal piece this week? Uh, I did not. Okay, so the stuff that was written about Buck Showalter ignoring analytics and Dan Duquette kind of throwing him under the bus mm-hmm. in the Rosenthal piece was interesting. There was the story the week before that that suggested uh, that the um, the Major League Baseball doesn't want John and Lou Angelos to run the Orioles, and they're going to try to interfere on. Like, there's so much weird stuff going on right now, Heisty. That I I sort of just want to know, right? I'm in this. This is the room that I'm in at the moment. I'm sitting here having this conversation with you. I want to fast forward a month and see where we are. I want to fast forward six months and see where we are. I just want to get through all this because all of these bizarre rumblings that are sort of going on about what's been going on inside the Orioles organization, the relationship between the Orioles and Major League Baseball, it's really driving me nuts because all of these conversations sort of seem like they pale in comparison to those big picture issues.
2: Have you ever been to Big Bats?
1: I have. I love Big Band. You kidding in? me? It's a very cool place. Did you sit on a bass? I did. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Same? Sat on a bass. Yeah, it's been a long time, Heist. I, I I went and when they came on, I was super excited because I was like, I've been to that joint.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, and it's a great joint. Right,
1: right over the bridge. Great right food, over the food bridge.
2: right over the bridge. And uh, they are uh, Kent Island's original sports bar, 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. On the way down or back from the Eastern Shore, it's no better place to stop, relax, and eat, catch the games on TV, whether it's the O's, the Nats, the Wizards, the Caps. Uh, just a, a great place to go for great food and uh, entertainment from a sports standpoint. Uh, it's the best bar grub you'll have uh, at uh, at a sports bar, and that's uh, Big Bats, and it's located uh, just over the Bay Bridge. If you're heading down to the shore uh, on uh, Stevensville in Stevensville, Maryland, St. Clair Place, uh, just head over. It's the first exit after you get over the bridge. Go to the upstairs, up, up to the light at the intersection. Hang a left about a quarter of a mile down, on your right, Big Bats, and uh, tell them Craig Heist and Glenn Clark sent you. Because I don't know whether Stan's been there yet. Yeah, I, mean, I think Stan's <laughs> been there. I think so. We're going to take a timeout, come back, and when we do, uh, we'll be talking to uh, Gary Lynette, uh, president of the Sports Boosters of Maryland,
6: and talk about their fundraiser. What's up, it's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page, that's at Fans Fantasy, and pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up, and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions
1: all at the same time. Join our picks league now at Loop League. Com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious b ups before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster. Wings Beer Sports, available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details.
6: KZ, Sari, the NFL Chick K.O.O. from the Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to pressboxonline.com slash fantasy every. Sunday morning from 10 a.m to noon
4: and you can also check us out on facebook.com pressbox sports
6: we talk about college football we talk about the NFL we talk about the fantasy aspect we talk about the reality aspect and we talk about soccer the the other type of football no no we don't we don't no never no yeah, tennis no nope. rugby nope no just no, football just NFL football. Football. football college college football. Football. football every Sunday morning 10 a.m to noon press box fantasy and reality football show.
5: Pressbox's Project Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Days Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill. Great food. Good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day. Facebook.com slash Press Sports.
1: Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show. But I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce.
0: Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza.
1: All these things are options for... For thirty solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com/slash/radio, and watch the show Facebook.com/slash/PressBoxSports. And back with you on the bat around
2: Craig Heist along with Glenn Clark. Uh, Stan the fan, yes, uh, is not feeling well. But he did uh, text us and said the, the whole idea is for the Brewers to non tender. So there's been a lot of rumbling. Right, right. So we, be a a lot talking of, rulli- we were right. talking
1: about the possibility of the Orioles somehow getting Jonathan Scope back, and I said, well, he'd still be a year away from free agency. Right. There is also the possibility, and it's been much discussed, that because he's a $10 million player at this point in arbitration. Um, and he's been, frankly, kind of awful as an offensive player since he arrived in Milwaukee, that the Brewers would simply say, we're going to non-tender him altogether. Now, some of the stuff that I've read, they would like to try to trade him before they would simply non-tender him. Can we bring that music back down with me? Oh, that, thank you. appreciate That's it. That's all right. <laughs> uh, um, no worries. Um, so, so, you know, th- they would like to try to see if there's a team that would be willing to take on, because $10 million in baseball terms is not such significant money that there might not be a team somewhere that would be willing to take on the $10 million bucks somehow, mm-hmm. some way. We'll see, right? Like, we'll see if that somehow that ends up playing out. But I think that ultimately I, it doesn't really – I don't think the Orioles are spending any money right, to bring back Jonathan Scope. If it costs actual money to do it, I don't think the Orioles are doing it. Right,
2: right because now. this is going to be done on the cheap until they right, can get is, that farm right. system to where it needs to be you know, for them to be able to function as a major league organization. Correct,
1: exactly right. And they're just they're saying, look, they're kind of admitting we're not trying to win. And if you're not trying to win, what is the point in spending money mm-hmm. as a baseball team if you're not really trying to... And I know they're not coming out and saying the words, we're not trying to win, because they're not allowed to do that. Right. They're not allowed, they're not to, do allowed to do that. Right. Um, but we all can read through it. They're not trying to win, and did, there's no did reason... Didn't the
2: Marlins recently do
1: that? Effectively, <laughs> right? And <laughs> by the way, again, you can... I, I know we're all beating up Derek Jeter, because we want to beat up Derek Jeter, but mm-hmm. the truth is that like, when you're doing this, you might as well strip it down to parts. It's just that we think that he could have done better mm-hmm. than what he did. Like The Yelich trade seemed... I get it. Trading John Carlos Stanton because he's getting paid two hundred some million dollars. You want to get that off? Christian Yelich was a very friendly contract.
2: It's a friendly contract, and, and boy, once he got out of that big ballpark down in Miami, no did doubt. that pay dividends? No doubt. Well, uh, our next guest is on the line right now, and uh, he is Gary Lynette, who's the president of the Sports Boosters of Maryland. And the reason we're having Gary on today, first of all, Gary, good uh, morning. How are you? I
7: am well, thank you. All How right.
2: Good, and uh, you are teaming up with the Bay Birth Museum for a fundraiser, an evening with the 83 Orioles, and uh, that's coming up on November the 14th, a Wednesday night, at the Renaissance Harbor Place Hotel in downtown Baltimore. Uh, Tell us a little bit about, uh, number one, how this got going, and uh, what we can expect.
7: Well, um, my organization, the Sports Boosters of Maryland, um, every year tries to put together a, a fairly large gala to honor a uh, sports figure in our community. Uh, Last year, we honored Fred Manfred upon his retirement. And we just thought it was a natural follow-up to say 35 years later, the Orioles' 83 championship team, that this would be uh, a great year to honor them. Uh, Coincidentally, at the same time we were approaching the Orioles about this, the uh, babe ruth birthplace museum was approaching them to do the same thing ah. so the orioles actually uh suggested we all should talk to each other and see if we could do this as a joint venture
2: so so and therein the, lies the connection right
7: therein lies the connection
2: well when when you think about uh having an event like this tell us uh, number one how people can get tickets that's the first thing
7: um, there's uh, two ways to get tickets. They can log on to uh, our website, which is the sportsboosters.com, or they can go to the babe ruth and they can get all the information they need about sponsorships, tables, and tickets.
2: All right. And, uh, uh, what's the guest list, list look like for this right now? I know it's still uh, in in the works, but uh, what what can you tell us about who's going to be there?
7: I am going to cheat uh, here and see if I can get my sheet up in front of me.
1: <laughs> I know Eddie uh, Murray's going to be there, which is really exciting for all Orioles yeah. fans. Yeah,
7: here, here we go. I'm going to read it all. It's Eddie Murray, Ken Singleton, Scott McGregor, Tippi Martinez, Tito Landrum, Jim Palmer, who's been a great friend of the Boosters for many years, Gary Raneke, John Staffero, Bill Swaggerty, John Tebow Shelby, Benny Ayala, Storm Davis, Rich Dower, Al Bumbrey. We just heard Dennis Martinez will be joining nice. us.
2: El Presidente, yes. Okay.
7: Also is going to be Richie Bansells is coming back. Fred Manfred is coming back. And we're going to have, from the Phillies, Gary Matthews, and from the umpiring crew, of that uh, final game, Al Clark.
2: Oh, cool. Oh, all right. Very cool. You know, I'm, I'm friends with Al Clark on Facebook. <laughs> random is that. <laughs> How super random is that? <laughs> I know. Uh, I, I love that everyone's got
3: their
7: Facebook friends.
2: Well, yeah. you know, here's the thing. You, you, out of all of those people, and there's obviously some heavy hitters, Tito Landrum... Uh, being back here, who if not for Tito, you know well, he won the ALCS. He won the a- yeah. ALCS with a just a screaming line drive into the upper deck at the Old Comiskey Park off of Britt Burns in the tenth inning. And uh, if you ever see the look on Britt Burns's face, <laughs> if you watch that replay or watch that game on an on an old Classics Channel or something, yeah. just look at the expression on Britt Burns's face because. Landrum hit that ball into about a twenty five, thirty mile an hour gale.
0: And, and it just coming it in just, from yeah, right. cut
2: through the wind. It was it was not a high fly ball, it was just straight line drive off the facade of the upper deck.
7: Well, of course, it's not supposed to happen. <laughs> no doubt about <laughs> and it. Funny. The result was proof that it was supposed to happen.
2: What's what's one for people who are gonna buy tickets to go to this thing, and of course, like you said, you had Fred Manford there last year. Uh the the enjoy the enjoyment from people who pay their money to buy tickets to go ahead and and do this and raise money uh, first of all what's the money go for
7: um, the money is going to be shared obviously by the uh, Babe Ruth News birthplace museum and the sports boosters um, the museum they use those funds to continue the operations of the museum. Um, you know, to keep it stocked with the memorabilia that they need, uh, memorizing the Orioles and Babe and the history of baseball. Uh, the Sports Boosters, we are a charitable organization where we raise money, and we use that money to support athletic education and mentoring programs in, um, we'll call it, uh, underserved, underprivileged areas of our community.
2: Well, that is so, um, that's so important nowadays for that question.
7: Yeah, well, whether we... Um, helped us fund a, a rec league program, or we uh, actually have helped high schools fund programs. Uh, most recently, we did one at uh, Newtown High School, and Mike Preston wanted to be the lacrosse coach. and The county had no money, the school had no money, and the sports booster stepped up. and Within three years, they won a championship in their division.
1: That's great. So
7: things of that nature.
1: That's great. Um, yeah,
7: the- we run programs of our own. We call it Choose for Grades, where we challenge kids to raise their grades, and if they're able to accomplish a one GPA point raise, they they get some form of reward. Most recently, a gift card to Oliver Sports.
1: All right, that's wonderful. So, so this event, uh, I'm sure there's a program involved, but there's an opportunity for people that get tickets to come and mingle with their uh, 1983 World Series heroes. Um, we are going to be
7: having a special VIP session that will be taking place during the first hour from 6 to 7 that um, you will have uh, those people that do buy sponsorships will be able to get access into the VIP room and to meet, you know, all of the players that are there. Uh, those people will also receive uh, some extra gifts like the signed baseball by all the playoffs players and some other memorabilia. Players will routinely, though, rotate into the main ballroom, where they will also be able to do a little meet and greet, you know, during the uh, cocktail hour, as you will. Excellent. And that would be every for everybody. But anyone buying a sponsorship will have greater access to the players themselves.
2: I was just going to say sure. that's that's got to be the biggest thing out of it all is for the for the people who spend their money uh, and to come to this event. It's just the idea of mingling with they childhood heroes or guys they're just playing rooting for back in the day and to kind of relive memories.
7: And additionally for those people that are our sponsors, they will get one of the players sitting at their table with them. Very yeah. yeah. cool. Very that's cool. That's
1: very cool.
7: Very, very
1: cool. Well And then
7: we are, obviously we have a program that's going on um, that's gonna, you know, honor the team. Um let's just say it has a nine inning format. And where did we come up with that idea? <laughs> and uh, you know, I think it's really going to be a great evening,
2: Gary. When somebody yeah. tells you, when somebody tells you it's been thirty-five years since the last time the Orioles were in a World Series, yeah. What, yeah. what do you think about as a fan?
7: <laughs> um, <laughs> please, can we have another one? <laughs> yeah. We almost got there a few years ago. Um, I am a loyal Orioles fan. Have been, you know, my entire life. Um, my roots the team, good or bad. But it would be nice to see. I'm starting to feel like an
1: old Chicago Cubs fan. All right, it's it's you not know, quite hundred. It's not quite you know, that long, but it's starting to feel like it's yeah, a yeah. It's I'm starting afraid. to feel it.
2: And you know, the the the, it, it, the bad part about it is you go through that before Buck and Dan and everybody got here. You go through that 14 years of losing. And then you're thinking to yourself, is it ever going to happen again? Well, let's hope that what we're going through right now isn't anywhere near that long uh, and they can get this ship righted and going in the right direction again.
7: Additionally, at the event, though, I want to mention we are doing it, you know, for the Orioles and to honor their team. But we're also doing it every year that we give out a humanitarian award. Where we um, honor a member of our community that's been very philanthropic, and uh, this year our award is going to go to Mr. Henry Rosenberg,
3: mm-hmm. and
7: um, he has been a, a staff member of our community for his lifetime, and we are proud to honor all the good things he's done for the city.
2: Are you expecting to add more players to that list that you read off between now and the fourteenth of November?
7: There are several that we are in contact with that um, have told us they're going to try and do their best. They have certain family circumstances that may, you know, negate their ability to come. So we don't want to put out their names as a maybe. But the answer is yes. There's three or four others that we think have a a very good possibility of being there. And uh, they would definitely add a lot of life to the party.
2: Well, an evening with the 83 Orioles. It's a fundraiser, November the 14th. Uh, it's a Wednesday night at the Renaissance Harbor Place Hotel in downtown Baltimore. And uh, Gary Lynette, the president of the Sports Boosters of Maryland, thanks so much for coming on and telling us all about this event and, and hopefully just a great success again.
7: Well, we're looking forward to it. We've already you know, sold well over 500 tickets. Typically the last 30 days is where things really click. Um, but, you know, we're going to have a number we'll have to shut it down at, but we've got some room yet. And uh, please, everybody, look out for all the public service announcements and more information that will be published continually. All right, Gary,
2: thanks a lot so much for being with us.
7: Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, that's Gary
2: Lynette of the uh, Sports Boosters of Maryland. He's the president and getting set for their fundraiser on uh, November the 14th. It's a Wednesday night.
1: Hi, so who was your single growing up? Like, before you did this for a living, mm-hmm. who is your single, like, not the one, don't miss me five guys, who was your one single biggest baseball hero? Frank Robinson. Frank Robinson? Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Mine's not quite as cool as that.
2: Well, and, and the reason I say that is we uh, when, when you're growing up in Essex and you're playing, whether it's up on the Kenwood High lot or... Yeah, you wanted to be... You, y- right. Y- you imitated the batting yeah, stance, yeah, the whole nine yeah. yards, and I used to get... I used to take uh, so much grief from my friends for loving Frank Robinson and not showing as much love to Brooks Robinson.
1: Fair, yeah. I mean, you, know. had, you had some pretty good choices. Let's just call it like it is. You had some excellent choices uh, between Frank and Brooks. I, um, my, my singular baseball hero was not quite as, as accomplished as either of those. Okay. My singular baseball hero when I was a child, again, mm-hmm. before, when I was a child, and there are other guys that I love, like when Roberto Alomar showed up in Baltimore. I'd love me some Roberto Alomar, right? Like when I I can't argue that. I mean, he was the best. He's the best second baseman I've
2: ever seen play the un- game. I mean,
1: that, it was just such a delight, a delight to watch him yep. play the game of baseball. But growing up. Mike Devereaux was oh, yeah. my guy. Sure. And I've tried explaining that to him in the I had times a cold beverage
2: with Devo uh, last weekend of the regular season. Oh yeah, that's cool. Over I've, look, at Pickles. I've,
1: I've ended up interacting with Mike a, a number of times. Yeah. But like every time I try to pass, like you don't understand. It right. was awkward. I was obsessed. Yeah. Like I had my like mom sew his name onto the back of a blank. Orioles jersey, mm-hmm. um, so that I could have a Mike Devereux jersey because you couldn't buy a mm-hmm. Mike Devereux jersey, course, you couldn't make your own on the internet. Like I you can gotta tell now. you a
2: story about that. We're having we're having those beverages over at Pickles, yeah, okay? Yeah, and uh, I was over there with Steve Molesky and uh, Luke Jones. Okay, okay, and uh, we're talking to Devo. He's over there with a friend, and I said to him, I said, "You made the best catch oh, I've ever God. seen." And that was what it was at for me. Camden Yards. Yeah. The the laying out up over, over the fence, right Absolutely. where the fence and the bullpen and the stands come together. Yep. Okay. Yep. And I, I told him, I said, but you know what? I said, it's hard not to beat Mike Trout's, you know, well, Mike, Trout, Mike also, Trout and Niger I, Morgan made the I same forgot kind about that one. of yeah. catch.
1: What about the Kenny Lofton
2: catch? Kenny Lofton, yeah. but that was in. That was in Cleveland. Yeah, that was that was in Cleveland against Brady okay. Anderson. All right.
1: All right. For some reason I've I've done that reverse. But the
2: other thing is Devon White with the Blue Jays made a very similar catch okay. to DeVos. Okay. Only it was more toward uh left center field. Okay. Uh and more into the bullpen area than but yeah, basically I, the same kind of catch. I was
1: obsessed with Mike DeMarco. Mm-hmm. I was obsessed. My dad had met him like on a flight. And got like literally just like a piece of sheet paper autograph because that's all he had on him on this plane, mm-hmm. and it was my most treasured possession as a child. And it was so nerdy because it wasn't like being obsessed with Cal Ripken where like other kids were into it. I would like tell you like my dad got Mike Devereaux's autograph, and like my buddies would be like, "What? Who cares? Who cares? Right? right like, why?" Are you, why are you, I, I was obsessed, mm-hmm. and it's so, like the first time. It was actually in Arizona when I was working out there. It was the first time that I ever met and interacted with uh, Mike Devereaux because he was an Arizona State guy and he had come out to do something out there. And I was was like such a nerd. And this is when I was still like new to the business and like realizing how you're supposed to act around, you know, other human beings. Um, But I was like, my God, I don't want to admit to you how nerdy obsessed i was Mm -hmm. with you growing up you were what what people are going to think of eddie murray when they go meet him at this event uh uh, with the sports boosters yeah i I was like that the first time i met mike Mm deverell that was how obsessed i was
2: well frank robinson because he was the guy for me growing up now eddie murray later on obviously when he comes to the orioles when he comes to the orioles in 77 uh i'm graduating from uh, from high school Okay, I, I so it
1: sort of lines up with... So it
2: lines up with... Your you know, adulthood
1: right. and, and getting into this business and the whole thing. Exactly. Then, of course, Stan had to run him out of town. Sure. <laughs> and <jerk laughs> and, and I never yeah, we'll never forgive Stan for that. <laughs> always like to bring it up. Always like to... That's right. It. Uh,
2: the uh, This week, this past week, 22nd anniversary
1: of... Some little punk up at Yankee oh, Stadium. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you? Uh, oh, you definitely saw my post. So, you know, I've been in interacting with Jeffrey Mayer for uh, the last year. Yeah, years. yeah, right. So and I've had this weird relate. Like, and again, this this sort of uh, speaks to our age difference. I was, and I did the math wrong, I was 13 when mm-hmm. that occurred. I was not 12. I was 13 when that occurred in 1996. Um, I, I have been trying. This is like my my whale, right? Like, this is my Moby Dick. I'm trying to land. I want to do this <laughs> story. And I don't even want it to be trashing Jeffrey Mayer. I yeah. want it to be about what happens when Jeffrey Mayer goes out to dinner, plucks down his credit card, and the waiter's an Orioles fan. Uh-huh. Like, I want to know about that. I want to write about his interactions over the years. When he's come across Orioles. With fans. Orioles fans. That's yeah. I think that story Now he didn't want to do it, right? He and in fairness to him, he doesn't want to do anything. Right. Right. This isn't like he doesn't want to do it because it's Baltimore or whatever. But he and I have exchanged messages Every year we get close to the anniversary, and I start messaging him again, like, hey man, just wanted to reach back out, see if maybe you were more in tune you know, and doing before. this. Yeah. Because he's never, this isn't, I don't know if you remember the uh, the Catching Hell documentary the ESPN did about Steve Bartman, where like Wayne Dress was sort of like stalking Steve Bartman, mm-hmm. and Steve Bartman said, dude, stop. Like, I, I you know, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm going to call the cops, mm-hmm. right? Like, because Steve Bartman has just wanted to be in anonymity since that, that moment occurred. Um. This is very different. Jeffrey Mayer and I go through long email exchanges every mm-hmm. year. We we are like pen pals. We go back and <laughs> forth, which is so ironic because I have cursed that name so many times in my life. Yeah, I ruined my third, my uh, seventh grade or whatever grade I was in at that point, eighth grade. Whatever well,
2: I'm going to take a different approach to this as, than most Oriole fans will. Okay. In that, for as unfortunate as that game one situation was, and the Orioles go on to lose that game in extra innings, right. They take game two yes. up at Yankee Stadium. So they split the series. Well, oh, they should have been in great shape. And yeah. they should have been in great shape coming home up to nothing. Yeah. But the bottom line is Pied when they got line. here,
1: yeah.
2: they did. They, they lost they three de- straight. They yeah. lost three straight. So you can't sit here as a true Oriole fan and an objective baseball I- fan and say that they lose that series because of that
1: I know you're right, Heist. There will always be the what if they were up 2-0. Could they have... have Well,
2: we'll never know. Right. If they're up 2-0 and they come back home... And, and they still pee down their leg. And they still and pee yeah, down right. their leg. The only thing they're doing is going back for a game, game six. six.
1: Yes. <laughs> and now, And also we saw the Yankees. Didn't the Yankees rally from down 2-0 in the World Series that yeah, year? Yeah, against the Braves. Braves? So yeah. they showed. Lay rich they Rich with the three-run homer. Right. Because remember That's Andrew Jones. Jones right? had, and didn't, weren't those two games in New York as well, the first two uh, games in uh, the first
2: series? The first two games in New York went to the Braves. Right. Then they, they rallied and uh, and they in won. Atlanta.
1: Absolutely. And they won four straight. So they clearly showed they were capable of doing. Right. Exactly. the it might be that nothing would have been different at all. They just would have lost the series four games to two instead of losing it four games to one.
2: Exactly. Now the
1: other part about this is, if
2: you watched that game, if you were listening on the radio or whatever, I had never. You had you yeah. had different calls yeah. of that play, and after several years back, I went through the Bob Costas, Joe Morgan, Bob Euchre call on NBC. Right. And, of course, that is high, it is far, it, you know, please. Right, yes, yes, the whole thing. <laughs> okay, the best description of that play came from, at the time, our very own John Miller. The pitch is a
5: high fly ball to right, deep, going back is Tarasco, to the warning track, to the wall, he's under it now, and it's taken away from him by a fan, and they're going to call it a home run, I can't believe it, Richie Garcia. And Tarasco was out to argue a terrible call by Richie Garcia. It's all time up.
1: That is as descriptive I, and I as see. accurate as that play could have been called. You and I were texting about this earlier in the week. <clears throat> what 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 blows my mind? Uh-huh. Um, was a play-by-play guy, right? And you right. you know what this is all about. You've done this. You you're so far away. He, where he's sitting in that stadium is so far away. From where that play occurs, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that play's happening in right field. You are behind home plate five levels up, right, in the old Yankee Stadium. And yet, no hesitation, no, there's no, something appears to have happened. There, you know, he confidently, the moment that it occurred, recognized exactly what had happened in that moment, and he had said, confidently, a fan has taken the ball away. Mm Mm-hmm. It's so easy for a broadcaster to say there was some sort of issue. We don't know exact. He was so confident well, and and, in and his that's call. what Bob
2: Eucher. Uh, I'm right. sorry, that's what Bob Costas did. He goes, you know, and he goes, he, he says Tarasco's under. He's to the warning track. He's to
1: the wall. And what do we have here? Right. You know? Right. And I understand that. Like I, I don't, I don't criticize. No, no, no. Because you want to make sure that you saw what you saw. The beauty of John Miller and why we were so effing lucky to have had John Miller for mm-hmm. so long, and it was so terribly unfortunate that we ended up losing John Miller. But that's a different well, Stan, story. Stan didn't way. run him out. Of yeah. yeah, that's true. That was not Stan. <laughs> that was uh, that was Peter Angelos. That's right. Um, he was so good at what he did. Mm-hmm. He was so unbelievably capable of handling the moment that listening to that call almost gives me chills just out of the respect and reverence that I have for him as a play-by-play guy. Because any play-by-play guy, even the good ones, it's easy for you to say, all right, I don't want to say that. I think I saw something, but I don't want to say I saw that until I get a replay of it and I can make sure that's what it was. He saw it immediately, knew that he saw it, and had the confidence to make the right call.
2: And that said, there's a longer version of that that I have where he says – where, where John Miller goes, you know, David Johnson is out to argue, Armando Benitez is all the way down the right field line to argue. He says, Richie Garcia went out there. He says, that's why you have an umpire right, down the right, right. field. He, that's why we do this in the playoffs, he says, is to get that right. Why, yeah, yeah. He, says, he says, that's why we have an umpire down the right field line. What's the sense in having them if you can make a call like that?
1: He's 100% right. He's 100%. 100%. John Miller was, God, we were so lucky. So we lucky were so him. lucky to have had John Miller for, for the years that we did because he was so good at what he did.
2: Project Game Day is back at halftime and post game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Pressbox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark, that's you. Yes. You hosted halftime. Oh, and I've got
1: terrible news. Tomorrow, Rita's out. Oh, no. What? Yeah, Rita's out tomorrow. Should something come up with the family. And mm. instead, um, Drew Forrester's joining me post-game. Oh, yeah. it's, such a, it's such a letdown. When you're expecting Rita... Well, I'll take the right? male's point of view on this. Drew Forrester is no Serena No. Lover. No. No. <laughs> it's terrible, terrible news. It's terrible, terrible news for everyone <laughs> that it's Drew that's in for Rita tomorrow on the post-game show. Anyway, Project Game Day brought to you
2: by Glory Days Grill. Catch all the action at your neighborhood Glory Days, drill, uh, <laughs> Glory Days Grill, easy for me to say, uh, where you have tons of TVs to watch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports, Press Box, Project Game Day, and also Facebook uh, Facebook. See that? I can't You're right. You're all right. Facebook.com okay. right. slash Press Box Sports. I got to go. I also yes. want to talk to you about the cost of sin.
1: Oh well, tell me about that before well, I leave. because cause I like talking about the cost. If Costas you go out
2: to see Nick and Pete, yes, at the Costas Inn on forty-one hundred, everyone's North Point. friends. Everyone's friends. Yes, forty-one hundred North Point Boulevard. Great specials throughout the week. Crab cake night on Monday. Ribs on Tuesday. Uh, steak night on Wednesday. Lobster night on Thursday. Great entertainment throughout the week. Jazz night on Wednesday. Rock and roll for you on Friday nights. It's all there for you at the Costas Inn, And I cannot... 4100
1: me, North Point Boulevard. I can't recommend the cream of crab soup enough. It is perfection at Costas Inn. I don't yeah. know what it is they do that makes it better. Like It is the most perfect... Cream of crab soup that I've ever had in my life at the Costas Inn, and I seriously mean that. I'll go a year for whatever because it's you know it's a far drive, and so I might it, almost a year without making it out the Costas Inn. Right. I'll get over there, and with Nick and Pete, it's like I've been there every day. Right. They come over. It's like family. They remember my wife. This is not Glenn because I've been on the radio or because I do this with you or anything. It's it's just who I. That's how they treat people. That's the way it is. Unless when you go to you're Costas me, Inn. and you go in there, and and well, you're in there. I well, think every Nick, night of the week. Though, Nick, comes part of the problem. Up, Nick
2: comes over and goes, "Ah, eh, yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> right. He's back, yeah, right. Of course, of course,
1: he's back, yeah." But that's part of what comes with you going in. I know how often you're at the Costa San Heisty. You're there all the time. Well, I spread it out a little bit, a little bit. I'm but, there all the time because
2: Nick, especially, yeah. And I, we, we do nothing but talk sports. Yep. Okay. Yep. yep. And. It's just... They're it's, the best. They're the, they're the best. best. You guys sit there, watch TV. Love it. Love it, that place. Do it the whole nine yards. That's the cost of sin.
1: We're coming back. With I, I got to run. Okay. I got to run because I got a soccer match. I got to go call. Who's playing? Uh, Loyola. I got to I got to run over to Loyola. Loyola and Boston University. Oh, right today's. down the road. Yeah, I'm going right down the road. But I got to get over there. I love you. Yeah. Uh, appreciate coming for in and stopping hanging in. Out. Yeah. Absolutely. I hope Stan's feeling better uh let's Brittany, good to see you as well and uh i'll be back i'll talk to you guys on project game day tomorrow all right wasn't that a great cut though by john miller oh my god it's one of my favorite i I don't believe i've never really like listened to that clip really? before but heisty he sent it to me earlier in the week and i was like i just was blown away i'm yeah. blown away by a reminder of how good john miller was yeah, absolutely so good we'll be right back with bill Latson
2: of mlb.com and uh He'll talk to us about the demise of the New York Yankees.
6: One hundred games. I can't. I can't 100 get behind games. that. I one, can't, but yeah. one
2: hundred games they win. I know. And 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 it's Done. like and everybody up there is oh they suck. You know Aaron Boone's got to be
0: fired. They got you know they ran into a pretty good team.
2: They yeah, yeah they did. We'll be back right after this.
0: <laughs> Join Team Up for One and help children with challenges by attending the third annual Sports Leadership Awards Bowl and Oyster Roast on October thirtieth. The night will honor UMBC men's basketball coach Ryan Odom and raise money to help children with disabilities. For information and tickets to the Team Up for One Sports Leadership Awards at Valley Mansion, go to teamupforone.org. That's teamupforthenumberone.org. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our
1: delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle.
5: The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Kevin Eck looks at Ravens superstar Terrell Suggs and how he still sizzles now in his 16th season in Baltimore. Plus, Simon Hathamarium introduces you to the newest Flacco on the Baltimore sports scene. That's Towson Tigers quarterback Tom Flacco. And Bo Smolka profiles new Ravens receiver John Brown. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition and the best daily coverage
1: of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious b before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster. Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on
7: here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to
6: 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336
7: is the greatest Baltimore Oriole Podcasts around. Look forward to listening every week. These guys
6: are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen, they are a great listen if you want Orioles talk, even during the off season. If you're lucky, they might even talk about the Ravens. Josh, Matt, and Burt are a must listen every week. Check Section 336 out for yourself on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? It's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page that's at Fans Fantasy and pick any five games Against the spread every week. It's free to sign up, and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our Picks League now at LoopLeague.com. And welcome back to the Bataround. Craig
2: Heiss sitting in for Stan, the fan Charles, as uh, we hope to have Stan back in this seat next Saturday, and uh, he's feeling a little under the weather, but uh, hopefully on the mend, and he'll be back next week. Uh, We've been uh, talking about a lot of things uh, this morning since we got in here at 10 o'clock, and uh, most of it uh, concerning the uh, National League Divisional Series uh, leading into the National League Championship Series, uh, which is featuring the L.A. Dodgers uh, and the Milwaukee Brewers game number one last night, going to the Brewers by account of six to five. Uh, but as I said in the open, uh, I was just questioning a little bit about the way Craig Council managed his pitching staff last night, and uh, the 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 way that it all turned out was that uh, Hader winds up throwing Josh Hader winds up throwing three innings as opposed to maybe two. Uh, when he didn't really have to do three, and it kind of put a strain on the back end of the bullpen a little bit, I think, uh, in in terms of their effectiveness maybe for today's game, too, because Hayter will not be able to pitch, according to counsel, today. uh, So the whole idea now is to give him two days off. Uh, before they get back out to L.A. They'll have the travel day tomorrow, game two tonight, and then he'd be ready to go in game three. Also, game number one tonight of the American League Championship Series has the Red Sox entertaining the defending uh, World Series champions, the Houston Astros. And joining us on the line right now is a very fine writer from MLB.com, Bill Latson, used to cover the Nationals on a daily basis, but uh, is now stationed up in New York. Bill, good morning. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me, Craig. All right, let me ask you about last night. Now, you saw uh, Gio Gonzalez throw 32 pitches. Yes, he gave up the line drive home run to Manny Machado, but it didn't look like he was laboring or had any kind of trouble, uh, you know, in, in his outing other than giving up the home run, which, you know, basically was a wall scraper. Uh, but nonetheless, Woodruff comes in, gives up uh, or, or, you know, hits the home run, number one. But, again, two innings, but what I have the biggest hard time with from council standpoint is using Hayter there for three innings. Is in that third inning, you can tell he lost a little bit of command, and what that pitch count did, 48, I believe it was, is makes him unavailable for today.
4: My only problem, and I agree with you, Craig, was that uh, I was hoping that Hader would be there for the late innings. That's what I told he was, mm-hmm. the late inning guy. And to come in as early as he did, well, totally number one, Council was going for the win. I mean, that was the bottom line. And, uh, you know, I, I can understand why he did that. But, uh, for you know, is your best reliever. And you would think that he would be there at least for, for late innings. But, you know, he yelled that grooves got by, and they won the game by one run. And uh, he was lucky there, but... Uh, it's really interesting to see what happens, uh, not only in the second game, but uh, throughout the series when they get back to L.A. I mean, how much can they use Hayter uh, after what they did?
2: Well, the the, the thing about today, and, and Council's already said he's not available today. However, if it's a tight game and it's the right matchup, you may see him for a batter. That would be my guess, but if not... I mean, that, that's what I have the issue with is that they're almost to the point now where the managers are in such a big hurry to go to the bullpen in these games. And we had Mel Antonton on earlier, and he was saying, no question about it, he says these guys are overthinking this way too much right now. You know, Craig, I mean, first of all, I couldn't even understand why
4: GOE started the game. <laughs> because he's not a money pitcher. I mean, you know that. You well, yeah, now. yeah, and
2: I, and I told Glenn Clark this earlier. I said, you know, the one thing we know about following Gio and covering him in D.C. Uh, for seven years is the fact that, you know, he has that tendency to throw a whole bunch of pitches through five innings where he has to come out of the game. And we know he was handed a 6-0 lead for the Nationals in that series against the Cardinals, and he wound up coughing that up. Yeah. Uh, Again, we I get all of that, but my point is, if you use Geo for three, and you use Woodruff for three, then that narrows, you know, the last nine outs to the rest of your bullpen, as opposed to maybe having to get you know, fifteen or eighteen outs with your pen.
4: Right, right. I I agree with you, and uh, you know, I just hope that uh, Council knows what he's doing the rest of the series. I mean, because you can't do it with Geo. I mean, Geo is not going. You, you know, for example, two shutout innings, and then you know, and you know, he will give you a lot of, he's like, give you a lot of pitches, and uh, you, you know, Gio is unpredictable. He yeah, well, I that's just that's in that October, he's not very good. That
2: to me is the so, biggest uh, thing. That's the, the bottom That to me is the biggest thing. What you just said, the unpredictability, because last night, I mean. You know, twenty eight thirty eight no twenty eight pitches after two innings is, is is very manageable. And like I said, yeah, he gave up the home run, but Manny Machado's gonna hit home runs off of good pitchers, too, you know. Right. And 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 but right. Gio, Gio down the stretch in September, I mean, you couldn't get much more or you couldn't ask much more out of him than what he gave Milwaukee there. Yeah, yeah, I mean
4: yeah, I mean he had a he got off you know, he had a nice ending to the season. But but you know, like uh to me, you know that's you know that's not uh, what I expect from Gio. I mean, I expect Gio to, as like you said, throw a lot of pitches, maybe have getting in, in the trouble often, and uh, you know, I, I just I don't think he should have been in there. To be honest with you.
2: Well, uh, again, you you set up with game two today, but. Here you are, if you're the Brewers and you're talking about Geo not being a very reliable guy or or inconsistent, mm-hmm. if you will, they're gonna throw Wade Miley out there today, and Wade Miley gave them four and two thirds in the divisional game of shutout baseball. Right. And and here's and, a guy. Here's a guy that was whatever he was five, you know, seven and fifteen, I guess, last year for the Orioles with an ERA of five point six. You know, so he's, well, he's, he's 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 hoping that you know he's hoping that Miley can do the same thing today as he did in the in the divisional series.
4: But you see, with Miley though, is a different story because you know Miley you know did wasn't with the team until like the second half, and you know like he was in the minor leagues, he had a, he had a lot to learn. I mean, he 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 remade himself. So uh, I, I think with him, I think it's a different story. I think he's going to get a Great outing out of him, and uh, I think it's going to be uh, a quality start. I really believe that.
2: Well, let me ask you about the American League Championship Series. It starts tonight at Fenway. You've got Verlander for the Astros. You got Chris Sale for the Red Sox. Now, mm-hmm. if there's a if there's an Achilles heel to the Red Sox after winning whatever it was 106 games this year, setting a franchise record for most wins in the season, is the fact that. Their starting pitching has got to give them innings. Otherwise, that bullpen is not very good.
4: Yeah, uh, well, tell that to the Yankees. I mean, they probably would take something else. But, uh, you know, we heard the same thing about Chris Sale. Chris Sale can't throw. His miles per hour is really down. And he ended up uh, killing the Yankees.
2: went well, out pitched so, in eight I, innings. It was great. Yeah,
4: so, you, you know, Craig... The way the Boston Red Sox are going right now. I think they can beat Houston. Now, yes, you know you look at the Houston Astros, overall, they're outstanding I think they're the best team in baseball. But I, I love the way Alex Cora is really managing this team and uh, they're fooling people. I you know, I think the team is really fooling a lot of people because I think I think that's what happened to the Yankees where they all, oh the bullpen is bad. Oh, Chris Sales hurt. I mean, Craig, you saw what uh Aaron Judge did after the victory in game two, playing New York, New York in the Fenway hallway. <laughs> so I mean to me the Yankees the Yankees got fooled. And I know the Houston Astros don't wanna go into that situation and be like the Yankees. So I don't think it's gonna be as uh easy as people think. And I think it's gonna be uh I think it will
2: go seven games. So so what um, you're I'm, saying is playing New York, New York in the hallways of Fenway Park isn't a good idea. Uh, no, no. <laughs> it, it was totally stupid. All right, well, let, let yeah, me but, let me ask you this about the Yankees. And, and you and I have had conversations on the phone and through text and things of that nature. Uh, you, you look at the starts that they got from Severino and – a lot of, a lot of uh, flack was given to Aaron Boone for not getting him out of there sooner. Correct. Uh, I don't think it makes much of a difference in a game where you only score one run and the other team scores 15. But the other part of that is, uh, you know, it's, it's a matter, again, of what we're seeing in these playoffs, you know, when do managers make that change from their starter to the bullpen? And yeah, should, you and I, I you, you and I were in agreement that uh, Boone should have probably pulled him in any sooner. Oh yes, oh yes, no question about
4: it. I mean, it was not a good series for Aaron Boone, and uh, not just with uh, Severino, but CC C. Sabathia as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, CC C. Sabathia's done. He's he's not the guy who is throwing bullets back at two thousand He's done. He's past his prime, and for some reason. I this this is just my opinion, I think Aaron Boone must have been there out of respect. Because you see C Sabathia, all the things he's done, not only on the field, but in the locker room, I think it was out of respect. So, uh, you know, I mean, unfortunately, it got them uh, an exit out of the playoffs. So, uh, and, and you know, Craig, I've told you this many times, I think the Yankees pitching staff is Uh, overrated. I don't think it's very good. Mm -hmm. So I think they need to get some pitching, uh, bullpen, and starters uh, if they want to get past Boston because right now, the team they have constructed right now, uh, they can't beat Boston.
2: Well, I wind up uh, looking now after this series is over with and uh, Boston moves on, New York goes home, uh, and then we find out uh, the day after the series ends that uh, D.D. Gregorius has to have Tommy John on his elbow. And you could tell, especially in the final game, his throws to first base were were awful. Yeah, and, you know, I
4: was shocked, uh, Craig, because, I mean, when I heard about this, you know, you wonder if he he really needed Tommy John uh, during the time, you know, against the Orioles towards the end of the season. So... I mean, he, he's had problems towards the end of the season, so as far as injuries are concerned. But, uh, you know, Gregorius has had a great career with the Yankees. I'll be glad to do something uh, at the shortstop spot. You know, everyone's talking Manny Machado again. You know that's going to happen. But, uh, I don't know, Craig. Uh, well, you, know you, you, you Manny's a child with third base, to be honest.
2: Well, again, that would all, you know, Manny wants to play shortstop. I can almost guarantee you that. But the other oh. part about that would the Yankees go out and consider spending that kind of money when they know they have to bolster that pitching staff? And that's not going to come like with other teams from within their organization. Yankees are going to go out and spend money to get another starting pitcher or two. Correct. I mean, they, they need to do something.
4: Uh, I mean, um, I think it's a great question, Craig. I mean, I think pitching should be their top priority. But, uh, you know, you look at that uh, lineup, the starting lineup. I mean, Craig, man, that's a lot of strikeouts.
2: Well, but how many times have I told you down through the years when you have a power-laden lineup And, I mean, I forget what Chris Davis is doing now, but you think back to the Orioles when they were going well in 12 and 14 and even into 16. You know, when you have that kind of ball club hitting those kind of home runs, you know that you're going to get your fair share of strikeouts, and that certainly was the case with the Yankees. Yeah, they have Judge, they got Stanton, they got Gregorius, they can hit the ball, Sanchez can hit the ball out of the ballpark, but with that comes the possibility for quite a few strikeouts.
4: But, Craig, you know, when I say a lot of strikeouts, if you have good pitching, if you have great pitching, the pitching can really stop a team like the Yankees. I mean, like, they, don't have, they don't have guys who can just look for signals. I mean, I mean, it's not like the, two, the 1998 Yankees or even the, in the dynasty of the 90s. I mean, the, the difference between this team and those teams is that at least the teams of the 90s didn't go for the whole run. Right. I mean, they were spraying the ball all over the place. I can't say that about this current Yankee team. There's just too many strikeouts. I'll tell you this, though. Say what you want about uh, Gene Carl Stanton. He was overmatched. He was overmatched this year. He was not the guy who was the MVP of last year. He was overmatched. Too many strikeouts. Too many five strikeout games. And I mean, it was not good to watch.
2: Yeah. Well, and Judge, Judge certainly had his fair share of those games this year as well. Yeah, but, but with him, though, it was the, it was the
4: injury thing uh, with him. Yes, yes, he strikes out a lot, no doubt about it, but it was the injury thing with him. And uh, you've got to hope these guys uh, stay healthy. I mean, I think it's a miracle. You know, I mean, who might say a miracle? But it's a miracle they won 100, 100 games with the lineup they had, with the pitching staff they had, which I don't think is good to me. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't even think the bullpen is very good either. So, uh, you know, you
2: look at all their free agents, free agents this year.
4: I wouldn't sign any of them, to be honest with you, but, but you know, you never know.
2: Never know, but, uh, again, they win 100 games, and there is something to be said for that. But I, I go back to... I go back to 14 with the Orioles, and you you look at a lot of home runs there and a lot of runs scored, Uh, but the the one time it – Right, right, right. The one time – By the time they got to Detroit – Well, and they they beat Detroit in three games. They beat – Right, right. But when they got to Kansas City, that was a different story in the ALCS.
4: Right, right, right. The pitching staff, at the bullpen they had uh, in Kansas City, so – yeah, I totally get it. Man. I totally get it. So
2: uh, this game is unpredictable, Craig. You know, you and I have uh, like what, like, Ward, back and like forth. We're hitting, hitting a home run against uh, against Clayton Kershaw, right?
4: <laughs> yes. And you, you, you know, you and I have gone back and forth. You know, and most of the time I'm just teasing you, but but but, Craig, I'm just facing reality here um, because we're we're professional here. And you know, as you know, I love the Yankees, but there's no way I can sit here and say the world championship team. There's no way I can say that.
2: Well, let me ask you this going forward now. You're, you're looking at uh, Milwaukee up a game. Uh, do the Dodgers square that series today? And what do you think with Ryu on the mound?
4: Um, I think uh, it's going to be an interesting series. Again, I, I think this is not going to be a sweep. This is going to be like it's going to go seven games. I mean, especially the way Council has used that bullpen. I mean, I think we go see the Dodgers back in the swing, and uh, it wouldn't shock me if they won Saturday's
2: game. All right. And then uh, the American League, who you like there? The Astros? I, You know what? On paper,
4: I love the Astros, but uh, I, I think Boston is I I'm saying Boston hit the seventh.
2: Well, I just think, I, I think the Astros go back to the World Series, and the reason I say that is because... I think coming down the stretch, they got their uh, especially the last month, and I was talking to Hank Allen about this too, is just the fact that their pitching staff really seems uh, to have come together, especially in the bullpen. And uh, if they get any kind of starting pitching, and, you well, you know what is going to give you, you know what Mer- uh, Garrett Cole's going to give you. Uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Garrett's going to give you. Uh, so from that standpoint, I think that the, their pitching is probably uh, uh, probably right up the snuff with just about anybody out there.
4: Yeah, the pitching the depth is outstanding and uh and Brad Peacock,
2: who was uh, one
4: of their heroes last year, is yeah. off the roster. So that tells you how good the Astros are right now.
2: Right, absolutely. And uh, you know George Springer just seems to find whatever he needs to uh in the postseason because he's been a great postseason player.
4: Oh, no doubt about it, correct. He's Ray Jackson of this era now. And uh I'm really happy for him. I mean, he's really
2: done well. Well, Bill, thanks a lot for stopping by and talking some baseball with us. And uh, enjoy the rest of the postseason. And we'll talk to you later.
4: You guys, take care. Thanks
2: for having me. All right, Bill Latson of MLB.com, his thoughts on the National League Divi- uh, Championship Series and also the American League Championship Series. Press Box Project Game Day is back at halftime and post game for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with uh, us on PressBox's Facebook page. Glenn Clark, host at halftime. He's joined by the NFL chick, Sarita Hubbard. However, she will not be here tomorrow, as Glenn told us. And it'll be uh, Drew in for Sarita tomorrow. Uh, Project Game Day brought to you by Glory Days Grill. Catch all the action at your neighborhood. Glory Days Grill, where you have tons of TV to catch every moment of every game. Glory Days Grill, great food, good sports, press boxes. Project Game
6: Day, Facebook.com/slash PressBox Sports. We'll be right back. What's up, it's KZ. This season, you can join us for our weekly and season-long pro football picks contest at Loop League. Click the link pinned at the top of my Twitter page, that's at Fans Fantasy, and pick any five games against the spread every week. It's free to sign up, and someone wins a $25 Royal Farms gift card every single week. Plus, we'll have great season-long prizes as well. And check out all the other awesome games at Loop League, where you can link multiple fantasy competitions all at the same time. Join our picks league now at League.
0: Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army Reserve, it is a core value. A value that brings together a variety of people from across the nation to answer the call to serve. Serving part-time in the U.S. Army Reserve means earning the respect of your community and your nation, all while pursuing your career and educational goals and staying close to home. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may qualify to earn up to $20,000 in bonuses when you join. To see if you qualify, visit GoArmy.com slash reserve or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army.
6: KZ, Sari, the NFL Chick KOO from the Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon.
4: And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash
2: Sports.
6: We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, college football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Show Hey
1: car fanatics, get your motor revving and head over to the 14th Annual Fall Car Show at Jerry's Chevrolet, but now on the new date, Sunday, September 30th. Featuring Corvettes, Street Rods, Customs, Trucks, Imports, Rat Rods, Vintage, and much more. 23 classes, plus another 26 award categories. Car registration is only $20, and proceeds benefit MDA of Greater Maryland, and it's free to attend, but on the new date, Sunday, September 30th. For details, visit Jerry's Auto show.com that's jerry's auto show.com. Pressbox's Project
5: Game Day is back at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You can react live with us on Press Box's Facebook page. Glenn Clark hosts at halftime, and he's joined by the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard postgame. Project Game Day is brought to you by Glory Day's Grill. Catch all of the action at your neighborhood Glory Day's Grill, where they have tons of TVs to catch every moment of every game. Glory Day's Grill, great food, good sports. Press Box's Project Game Day, facebook.com slash Sports.
1: Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show. But I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce.
0: Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza.
1: All these things are options for 30 solid seconds and then we'll go right back to lamar jackson glennclarkradio.com pressboxonline.com slash radio and watch the show facebook.com slash pressbox sports anyone that tells you that soccer is the new football
2: no 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 don't even go there with me i'm sorry that's gonna do it for the bad how are you
7: I'm good. Now you, got you you have cold. football.
2: You have football today. I do, yes. Towson is playing William and Mary. Yes. You know, it's my wife's alma mater. Oh really? Yeah.
7: Well Towson's gonna win.
2: Well there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, but I'm I'm thinking it's it's really t- kinda tough to have a football team beat up on two people.
4: Yeah, William and, and Mary, Mary. Exactly. Yeah, a
2: little rude. So, a little rude. But Towson can handle rude. <laughs> How's my boy Flacco doing there? And I don't mean Joe. You,
7: Tom, Tom, I'm, I'm Tom, Flacco's Tom Flacco is doing really well. He's yeah. yeah, he's really brought up this team.
2: Yeah. Is he the better quarterback of the two, or what?
1: Uh, no comment. I'm, I'm putting <laughs> you on the spot,
2: Britt. Come on.
1: How are you supposed to compare a, a college, college quarterback, quarterback to a, a pro
2: quarterback? I know, I know, I know. Well, let's put it this way. Would Ravens fans rather have Tom? Or no, no, never <laughs> mind. <laughs>
3: never mind.
2: Thanks to everybody who took part in the show today. Uh... Mel Antonin from Masson and Massonsports.com. And, of course, you can catch Mel all the time on the Mid-Atlantic uh, Sports Report in the afternoon. And uh, Gary Lynette, who's the president of the Sports Boosters of Maryland, and uh, his organization teaming up with the Bay Ruth Museum, uh, a fundraiser, an evening with the 83 Orioles that takes place on Wednesday, November the 14th, at the Renaissance Harbor Place Hotel, downtown Baltimore. That... Should be a great event. Thanks, to Glenn Clark, for stopping in and lending uh, his uh, talents to the show, if you will. And Bill Latson of MLB.com. Stan, a fan, should be back next week in this chair. I don't know what my schedule looks like for next week, so maybe I'll be here, maybe I won't. But uh, we hope Stan is on the men. That's going to do it for us in the bat around. Have a great week, everyone.